People of the internet, welcome to Atheist Edge. I am your host, Kaz, and joining me today, I have Javier Javier and Vagrant Sam. How you guys doing today? I'm good. How you doing? Yeah, doing good. How's everyone else? Can't complain. I'm doing pretty good. Thank you guys for asking. Uh, Javier Javier, can you tell us about your channel and where you come? Uh, what you what you what your uh, your background is about? I am Javier Javier. I host the YouTube channel and podcast, The Javier Javier Show. I talk all things politics, religion, and culture. I am a conservative atheist who's been an atheist for about 10 years now, and I've been a conservative probably around eight or nine years at this point. So that's pretty much my thing. I talk all things philosophical, political, and in theology. I get into it. So that's a little bit about myself. Got it. Thank you so much. And Vagrant Sam, can you tell us about yourself? Uh, myself? Well, I'm a former Christian um, from a, probably about 20 years ago. Um, started being a bit more active in the atheist scene two, three years ago. Uh, and I sort of have slowly moved over from the center to the left uh, over those last two years as well. Um, my channel's pretty hit and miss at the moment, <laughs> I'll be honest. But um, I sort of moved away from the um, sort of the, the atheist-based, a hey, Christians are funny content to more... Uh, the political stuff because that's sort of where my uh passion more lies in uh politics and uh policy and that sort of fun stuff got it thank you okay so we are all here tonight because we are all atheists and we are going to talk about politics because i understand javier javier is a conservative and vagrant sam is an australian but i believe that his politics align with what we would consider here in america a liberal is that correct uh, I believe so. I, I get this funny feeling that the term liberal itself is kind of a pejorative from both sides. Um, I would uh, probably say progressive, left, socialist sort of uh, political leanings. Um, I think liberals, they just sort of cop it from everyone for being wishy-washy. But uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's going to be the uh, maybe the biggest, uh, the hardest thing to understand from all of this. Um, maybe we should start there. Can you kind of give us an idea of where you come from politically? Uh, so where I come from politically, um, I went on a bit of a journey. So like, like I said, I, I used to be Christian. So I used to be in the whole conservative mindset back, back before I understood what conservative and progressive was because I was like a teenager. But, you know, the things about, um, uh, you know, abortions shouldn't probably be legal. That's, you know, um, marriage between people of the same gender. Well, it's not really marriage. It's, that's not the definition of marriage. All that sort of stuff. Um, after losing faith and sort of moving away from that, that stopped being reinforced and I started to be a little bit more like, Hey, just live and let live. Let's all be cool. Let's all just be um, nice to each other. Uh, and then that developed over the last couple of years when I sort of started to have a bit more of a um, nuanced relationship with things like work and um, wealth generation and the way we as a society look after each other. Uh, so at the moment I'm firmly in the camp that uh, we have uh, social responsibilities to ensure that we all have the uh, total amount of freedom that's possible. Um, and I sort of lean away from the idea that individual freedom overrides social freedom. So if, if I'm free to do something that impacts the ability of someone else to have freedom and to, um, you know, pursue their life in a way that's fulfilling to them, then I, I sort of feel like that's something that should be um, addressed. And I think through things like uh, policy and laws and regulations uh, of you know, things. A, a good example is like, you know, everyone I think should have access to healthcare. Um, and so, you know, being the Australian in the room, I, I can happily say that if I had to go to the hospital now, I'm all good. I'm not going to go bankrupt. I'm not going to get a bill from it. And I think that that's the type of freedom that I value. Uh, and so that's where I sort of keep moving with my progressive politics. 
um, and that sort of gets into the workplace and stuff and the inequity between uh, labor and uh, capital owners, uh, particularly I think in year 2022, oh, that uh, those raises on the uh, inflation rate, it's getting to be a bit of a bitch. So, so Javier, Javier, um, starting with uh, that, that statement he made about um, the uh, the rights of the individual versus the rights of everyone else, could you also give us uh, your background as far as uh, politically, how you how you approach politics? Yeah, um, I came from a very uh, poor, uh, poverty-stricken area where I grew up in the projects where crime was a regular, anything between murder, rape, um, you name it, robbery. Uh, I've seen it all. I come from that environment, and uh, I never thought about politics in my life. Uh, that was never something I was really interested in growing up. Um, I, I was a criminal myself. I did a lot of violence and things of that sort, and over time, as I begin to like dive deep into religion, because um, religion was one of those things that uh, was very big in my life. I was very, very much into Christianity as a young child, even though I was out living a criminal activity. Um, fast forward, did a lot of reading, read the Bible four times front to back, studied under a theologian and just lost my faith along the way. And right around that time, I was being approached by a lot of these atheists that I would come into contact with and they would raise all of these political issues and things of that sort up and try to get me involved with thinking on along of the lines of a liberal or a progressive. And after doing my own work and investigating, because I, that's what I did as an atheist, um, that's how I became an atheist. I did the same thing when it came to politics. Okay. If you, if you guys are saying that all of these are issues and problems that we need to address, let me look into it myself and see if I come to the same conclusion. Uh, little behold, uh, I did not come to the same conclusion and I ended up becoming a conservative along the route. So I take the, the aspect of, I do believe that individual rights trump the collective rights. There is no such thing as collective rights. And I do not see any government, any, especially in the Western world, who even considers collective rights to be a thing. Um, mm. No one cares about the collective if the individuals amongst that group differ in such various ways that you couldn't possibly fulfill everybody's desire in that group. So I reject the whole collective mindset in general because what it ends up doing is putting a one size fits all blanket over a vast majority of people who may not have anything in common. So. It seems to me that this is probably the the key to the point of contention here, that the that this is where the nexus of our disagreement is the 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 difference between an individual rights versus a collective rights or whatever that may be. So I'm wondering, um, vagrant Sam, if you could give us an example of a collective right that trumps an individual right that you think Javier Javier might uh in at least intuitively agree with well i i think um for example a a, a collective right or a collective responsibility we have that provides you know a certain amount of freedom and safety to everyone is uh car licensing car car rules road rules right like you know we we don't have freedom like i i believe in america like the right to travel and stuff is something is that in the constitution or there's some sort of big protection about you know the right to free travel or um, something I'm not uh, sure the uh, actual the actual terminology, but I believe there's something about uh, a freedom of moving between the states. 
Yeah, uh, and, and like car, cars are a, a method, a, a vehicle, literally, to <laughs> to achieve that. And yet, like we have really strong regulation around cars. Like you can't sell a car without ensuring that it meets a lot of safety requirements. You can't drive a car uh, without licensing that gets um, continually. The U.S. Constitution and Supreme Court recognize and protect the right to interstate travel um, as a fundamental right uh, guaranteed by. Where is this? The this is a decision from. I believe a Supreme Court decision, so I'm not sure if it's explicit in the Constitution or not. Wanna, if like, somebody in the, the chat knows more about that, other, that'd be great. Like, the, the, is it the Ninth Amendment that's like there are other rights that may not be explicit in here, but are implicit in the intention of the right. Constitution? Anyway, the, the point being that, like, you know, you know, travel is heavily regulated for people's safety, for all of us to sort of interact in that space in a way that provides freedom for us to move without injury, without risk of, um, you know, catastrophe if people are driving fast, driving too slow, driving irrationally, driving under the influence. Like we, we give up the freedom to drive how we want, when we want, why we want to uh, make sure that everyone can drive safely. Right. Okay. The, the, the problem with this example is for one, um, you don't have to drive. Uh, you don't have to have a car. This rule applies to people who choose to engage in a certain behavior. So right now we're already saying that individuals who choose to drive have to follow certain rules. This the rules of the road doesn't apply to people who aren't on the road. Would I be would I be right? Well, it does. That? Pedestrians are bound by the rules of the road. Like there, there are rules when engaging with the road network that apply to everyone. Like unless you're sitting in your house, never going anywhere, you interact with those rules regardless of what type the, of transportation you're taking. Yeah, the moment you become a pedestrian, you also agree to those rules, right? Because like when I'm at home, the rules of the road mean nothing to me. It, it, I have to choose to participate in a in a. I can go out and live in the woods for all anyone cares, and never live with civilization at all. And I have that choice. But the only people who have to engage with the rules of the road are people who are agreeing to play in that realm. If that makes sense. So, do you think that people have a legitimate choice in the matter? Like, do you, do you think someone can? come of age and go, you know what, I decide to disengage with the rules of the road and that they have like an, an honest to God option to just disengage with that? Or do you think that's just hypothetically technically possible, but not really practical just to sort of get around the fact that this is a social uh, well, restriction that we all agree to for the benefit of all of us, well, despite that, the fact that it means I waste another 10 minutes on the road each day because I've got to follow the speed limit. I, I make that sacrifice for the greater good, right? And you're happy to make that sacrifice, I assume. Well, here, here's the thing. Uh, there are people who live off the grid, people who don't engage with civilization and the rules of the road, and they perfectly live perfectly fine not abiding by those rules. Now, when you say that we take a collective mindset, rules are put in place for those people who will break certain social norms, right? Um, we're not making rules for the vast majority of people who are kind and the vast majority of people who are um, doing the right thing. We make rules for the people who go against the norm or, or deviate towards what we would consider to be in the greater good of mankind. So we're actually targeting individuals who would fly down the road at 95 miles per hour knowing that kids are in the area. We're, we're targeting those individuals who would do such a thing, not the guy who's going to drive 25 miles per hour knowing that kids are around, right? So we already make laws and rules based on minorities and the people who are the small faction of a society that doesn't benefit the collective. Does that make sense? I, I understand what you're saying, but I, I guess I disagree in the fact that like road rules are explicitly targeting malicious activity. 
like uh, part of the function of road rules is also to provide a certain amount of order to how we uh, maneuver through those spaces so that we do it safely. So it's not just a matter of people that are irresponsible or people that are, you know, uh, objectively selfish. It's so that we have a complete set of understandings of how we all behave on the road so that we can make safe decisions. Because we understand that, you know, when we're at a intersection or a four-way, and again, it might be different in America versus Australia, but we always yeah. have to give way to the left. I imagine it's to the right in America because you flipped around. But like yeah. we, we understand that intuitively. And so that helps us to make safe decisions on the road. We understand that, uh, you know, when we're going around a roundabout, there's certain ways that we need to um, indicate to sort of um, show intent so that we can maneuver safely. And like that's enforced on us. So we might be able to sit here and go, well, that's reasonable. So I agree to that. And that's that's not really restricting my freedom. But it is something that is providing a pattern for behavior that is expected. And if you don't follow that pattern of behavior, there are consequences. And I think that's a good example of where, um, a, a, a restriction of personal freedom, of complete personal expression for the benefit of all of those around us is actually a really positive thing and can have really positive outcomes. And I think we can map that to other things as well. I, I, I believe, like, look, I don't disagree with you for the most part. All I'm saying is there's a reason why rules on the road are different in certain areas versus other areas. Certain countries, certain cities, certain states, they all have a way of implementing different rules and restrictions. Some country, like some states require you to have different standards in order to drive. Some states require less. Like it all is tailored towards certain communities because we realize that each community, each state, each country is different and unique. And we have to judge it based on those individual unique um, aspects of that society or that specific city. And we have to tailor it towards that group instead of saying, we're going to put a broad blanket over everybody on the road in America yep. and think but, that, but that everybody is going to be able to operate on those same yep. rules. 100% agree. But the question isn't, should everyone have the exact same road rules? The, the, the question is, are road rules a net benefit despite the fact they restrict personal freedom to express whatever we want to express through our driving. Like uh, my, my position isn't that road rules need to be a universal constant, no matter what my, my um, position is that road rules as a social construct that we all agree to adhere to are a net benefit for society. And it, it's just an example of where something that um, puts an onus on the individual to act in the interest of those around them is a net benefit. And I, you know, uh, yeah, would you, uh... would you disagree that like there's a net benefit to a society that has rules even if they are different from city to city state to state county to county whatever it is having that shared understanding that's a good thing right like there's, there's no downside to that is is there a negative that i'm missing no 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 of course I, th I think it is a net benefit that we as a society get to individually vote for representatives to make these rules and these restrictions that is better for all of us but yeah. that's a um the, the, the issue about the collective versus the individual, I agree that there are certain things that it takes a group of people to come together and get accomplished, right? The question should be, does that automatically trump the individual? If, if, if the majority of people in America tomorrow decided that slavery was okay, that wouldn't make slavery okay. Just because majority of the people think that that's better for society doesn't mean that it is not violating the individual right of the person not to be a slave. Does that make sense? That, that makes sense. And, and again, I think that's a slightly different question to what we're talking about. We're talking about things that um, we can adopt as a social responsibility um, that might in, you know, restrict our personal freedom. That's a net benefit. What you're describing is if the majority of people had a opinion that actually reduced the overall freedom. Like, I, I think if you start to talk about um, 
you know, if slavery was voted democratically to be now legal, like we, we can actually objectively look, no, that's reducing people's overall freedoms. Like it, it's something that you can balance yeah. against the pros and cons. I'm not, I'm not saying that in every instance, um, the social uh, desires of, you know, a particular demographic must be the ideal. But yeah. I think that we are in a society at the moment where it's certainly not weighted to the point that I think is fair for outcomes. And I, I look, to be fair, the road example, that was probably the most um, airtight one I could come up with on the spot. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure there's other uh, policies and uh, political uh, political positions where maybe we wouldn't have <laughs> as easy way to get to that point. But um, yeah. Yeah. I think that um, we can talk about each specific case and we'll come to maybe varying different answers. But when we talk about the role of the government, this is what we're talking about when it comes to the individual versus the collective, right? When liberals or progressives talk about the collective, what they're in turn saying is that we want to empower the federal government to expand their power over more individuals so that they will bend their will towards the collective. That's effectively what we're saying when we give power to the government to make rules and restrictions. Now, the argument on the conservative side would definitely be the fact that one size does not fit all. And the moment you start allowing the federal government to enact certain powers over a vast majority of people in the, in the population, what you're in turn doing is creating situations where those solutions don't necessarily fit a lot of communities and impact communities differently, which is why we have levels of government. We have your local city government, you have your local state government, because we understand that you cannot apply broad solutions over a vast variety of different groups of people, if that makes sense. That, that makes 100% sense, right? And, and I think America, you, you've got a very unique situation in the um, size and complexity of your your nation, right? Your, your country of America, um, I've seen people liken it, and I'm not sure how accurate this is, to you've got the complexity of Europe, but you've got this one federal governing body above all. Yeah. And like, if you've got concerns about federal powers that are relevant in, um, I'm going to show my lack of knowledge here, Los Angeles, not being relevant in New York, not being relevant in, um, what's another American city? You know what I mean? Like, I, I get that. Like, we, we have similar concerns here in Australia where, like, um, you know, issues here where I live in Brisbane, they're not necessarily issues out in rural Queensland as well. Yeah. Um, like they've got different concerns. And I, I think mapping the idea that uh, progressive or liberal or, you know, whatever values, like the, the idea that you've said that, um, you know, our, our values, like my values as a progressive is to empower the government to enforce things. I, I think that gives a lot of um, undue credence to the idea that people on my side of the camp are happy with government as it stands. Like, I think you'll find that a lot of people on the far left or on the left um, actually kind of hate the government too. Like, I, I think we all probably here agree that the government is uh, a broken machine, no matter whether you're in Australia, whether in UK, whether you're in America, um, and that we might just actually disagree on why it's broken. So for me, I think the government's broken because they're bought and sold. I think that they're broken because, you know, essentially the career of a politician at the moment is to go into politics and to put into power things that, uh, benefit their um, uh, the the people that are donating them money, and then once their career in politics is up, they go and become a lobby group who then lobby the next government to get things that are beneficial for a tiny minority of capitalists. You yeah. might not use the term capitalists, but like <laughs> they're the ones that are coming in and they're supporting um, companies that are amassing more and more wealth at the cost of the people. So, 
I, I agree. It's with not you, about man. the government getting power for my side. It's it's about fighting for the people that are currently not being represented by the government. Well, here's the issue that I always find with uh, some of the rhetoric that people use as far as like we don't agree that the government that we have is necessarily doing what it's supposed to do. And they're breaking rules. They're getting away with things of that sort. Right. But on the other hand, these are the same people we expect to enact the same laws and rules that we want them to do when we know they're corrupt and they won't do it. So you would think that the the argument would be to strip away power from the government instead of trying to give them more power. Wouldn't that make sense? It, it, it makes sense, except I think, again, and, and this is probably a critique I'd have of America, right? Your two-party system is incredibly... Um, What's the word? Like it is ingrained so hard that like it, it's it's from my point of view, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems impossible to see a third party starting to slowly gain power in America. Is that is that a fair uh, assessment based on Democrats and Republicans sort of grip on the Senate? Yeah, the part the problem the biggest problem with the two party system is it's like one person is holding a gun to another person's head while that same person is holding a gun to their head. Everybody is afraid that the other person is going to pull the trigger so they won't ever put their gun down. So we trapped ourselves in the lesser of two evils argument in America. And as long as we keep thinking that way, everybody's afraid to go third party or to create a third party that's valuable in America in fear that the moment they break away from their party, the other party is going to gain all the power. And, and see, that this is one of the advantages we have. So we had a um, federal election not too long ago. And, well, technically, we still are a two-party system. We have got the Liberal Party, which ironically is the Conservatives, uh, and we've got the Labor Party. But I I could vote for the, uh, the Socialist Party of Australia and preference the Labor Party. So my vote still goes to the lesser of two evils, but I'm still giving, um, you know, more prevalence to the party that I care about the most. The reality is, like, the Greens Party, which is sort of our most robust third-party option at the moment, yeah. Um, and they're the ones that are focusing on things like renewables. They're focusing on things like um, socializing mental health and dental health. So those things would be covered under a universal health care because they're not at the moment. Um, and they actually won an additional four seats in the Senate. So we can actually put pressure on government. So now the government of the day has to work with these people. And again, the, you know, you talk about draining the swamp in America. The Greens Party here in Australia, one of the four people that got voted in at the Senate election they had to quit their job pushing trolley carts the day after the election so they could get ready to go and start representing like workers and people in the government. So we have a pathway to put pressure on the government in a way that I think that you, you potentially rightly criticize um, people in America. They don't have that ability. They don't have that lever to pull on government. Yeah. Um, and I could see where that would be frustrating. So it's very hard for me to sort of come in and tell you, well, this is how you should do it. But hey, preferential yeah, but voting. And America... America has a, a a heavy hand on the rest of the world. Like people look to America to see exactly like how foreign policy is going to go and exactly how they should invest and all of these different things and who's the ally, who's not an ally. America is the biggest player on the, on the field right now. But I think that America is so ripe in this situation to where a dictatorship is very possible in America. And a lot of people may not like think that, but, our politicians become millionaires while they're in office. They literally gain millions and millions of dollars. If you look at somebody like Nancy Pelosi, who became a multimillionaire while she's been in office and she's been a public servant her whole life, like we see things like this. And when people feel as if the upper enchilada of the political class 
is only interested in, a, in amassing wealth for themselves and power for themselves, people become desperate because the same people you need to change the laws are the people making the laws. So what do they do? They put their faith in some figure like a Donald Trump or somebody of that sort who says, I am going to destroy the political class. I am going to rid this country of all of these people who've been sucking off of it for so long. And you see the power that that has. America is unique in that problem. This is why, as a conservative, I never want the government to get so big and so powerful because the moment you need to remove those those benefits from those politicians is nearly impossible to do so. And I don't necessarily know exactly how all the progressives in your country deal with, but I know in America, progressives are hell-bent on getting the government involved in more and more and more of our lives. And how are you going to say the government is corrupt, but at the same time, you want them to have more access and more power. So I, I think probably one of the concerns there I would have is that like the, the, the corruption of political um, agents, like your, your politicians and stuff like Nancy Pelosi and stuff, I would struggle to believe that their corruption is based in the uh, way that they administer public services and that their corruption is actually third party activities they undertake using the benefits that they get access to. So because let's say, and, and I've got no, I'm just taking this as red, Nancy Pelosi is corrupt. I don't know enough about um, your politics over there to know. Yeah. From a, well, I know who she is, but you know. I just use her as an example, but yeah, exactly. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to use her without yeah. knowing the circumstances there. Um, just because she is corrupt doesn't mean that if there was to be uh, some form of universal healthcare in America, that that system would then also be corrupt, right? They're using their connections. They're um, they're using the um, yeah. They're, they're mostly using connections to make wealth, right? They're, they're not going in and they're they're not, they're not draining money out of the system, right? But like I've well, not seen um, any concerns that they're well politicians with public money. They're I mean, taking politicians bribes. They have taking... the ability to dictate certain laws that affects the market in America. So, in a sense, if you know that something is a, a law or a bill is about to pass that's going to cripple a certain industry that you have investments in, you can move your money to other accounts or to other investments that you know is going to benefit from that new law being yep. passed. So, so do you have way, an example where they've done that just to make money or is it more that they're doing it for a reason that is potentially valid, but they're abusing their foreknowledge to make money? I mean, or is it just I, like they're going, you know what, I'm going to cut this market just to make a buck. I can't read their minds. Uh, I, I guess as a but you'd see the outcome, right? Like you, you'd see yeah. someone that is cutting an industry has made some money and there's been nothing but bad things from that decision. Yeah. Like they uh, could make it, uh, someone could make a good decision that affects the market and abuse that knowledge to do insider trading, right? They're two separate things. They could make be making the right decision, They're but two still separate committing things, fraud. But at the same time, the, you have to, the, the, we shouldn't be in a situation to where that is something that we have to worry about, if, yep, if that makes sense. Because we, if the citizens have to question, like, why did they really make this law? Was it for the good or something good? Or was yep. it to benefit themselves? And the moment you have to ask that question, it puts you in a case where you'll never know. So all you have is your assumptions. And I don't think that's healthy for any population to believe that yeah. laws are just being made so that politicians can get rich. So so you know how we are trying to deal with it as progressives here in Australia? Tell me. As a, as a federal anti-corruption commission, like a, a independent, not related to the government, not related to the people involved, but a commission that actually investigates those things. So at various states, we have, um, they're called ICACs, um, 
something corruption and anti i forget what it stands for but it's basically it, it, they go in to look at potentially corrupt behavior undertaken by um, politicians particularly yeah. after nine years of a conservative government we need to do a lot of checking um and that that's the answer like the answer isn't to well the government shouldn't be looking after healthcare. the answer is police the behavior not take away the benefits that centralized government offers yeah well here, here's the problem with some of these uh situations on one hand like at least in my country progressives constantly say well we're pushing for this we're pushing for this we're pushing for this never do they deliver they never deliver here like Politicians would get up there and say, we need to rein in the millionaires and the billionaires and nothing ever happens. The rich get richer. Like, it doesn't matter which party you vote in. They're going to spend masses amount of money. Money is going to go disappearing. We don't know how to account for it all. And let's say that they institute these social programs. The government is even worse when it comes to running programs. I'll give you an example. Like, when I was a kid, there was this family who moved into a public housing Um section eight situation where they didn't have a place to live. So the government put them in place. And the rule was that a certain amount of people had to live in the house as a four bedroom house. And at the moment it was like five or six people living there to this day, after 15 years, nobody lives in that house, but the mom, everybody else has moved out. All of her kids are gone. And instead of them moving her out of that house and putting her somewhere else and moving a bigger family into that house, She's been living there for years and years and years, and the government just allows her to. And this is why when they try to help people, they only end up misusing or abusing the funds in a way that doesn't necessarily make sense. And I see this all like all the time with government in so many different programs. And that's why they take forever to build stuff. I, I don't know how your government behaves, but I say if I wanted to vote out the people right now who are corrupt and we knew are corrupt, it's nearly impossible to do so. And I, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go on. Well, I, I was going to ask, right? Like, like yeah. we, I think we both agree as well that there's um, a certain amount of inertia when it comes to voting uh, the correct people in and out based on their behavior, right? What What is your explanation for why it's hard? Like, why is it hard to vote someone out when they do obvious, I was going to say evil, but let's not be biased here, when they do something that's not in the interest of the public, right? Like, what what's the... Why aren't people voting those people out? Well, uh, in, in America, I know that there are a lot of different ways that a politician can stay in office. You got something called gerrymandering where they carve up different parts of the map to make it seem they, they, they carve it up just in the right way so that they can get reelected. Um, some people will say voter suppression. There, there are various means that politicians have of keeping power and People have argued and complained about it for the longest, but nothing ever really changes. And it's like, how long do you go with a corrupt government that you can't put in check? How long do you decide that enough is enough? And our founders in America decided that once the government becomes corrupt, it's the job of the citizen to overthrow that government and instill a new one. But <laughs> that'll never happen. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> but the, uh, our, our founders knew this was a possibility. And for the life of me, the last thing I want to do is make them bigger and stronger because we so already wanna, can't stop them. Go ahead. I want to interject real quick because uh, on the topic of trying to vote out people who uh, are corrupt, I found a uh, article on Insider about 70 or so congressmen who 
were engaged in financial trades that would be considered um, against the Stock Act of 2012. And I just wanted to post their pictures on this. <laughs> so I've got all of them here ready for you guys to look at. Let me just take down that. Uh, oh, let me uh, take down that mm -hmm. super chat that was there, so you guys can see all of them real quick. Um, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of them. Oh, yeah. I think the total. Here's another bunch of them. If you recognize any of these uh, pictures, I'm not going to read all these names. There's seven. I recognize of them. many of them. Yeah, and it's pretty and even as far as the Republicans and Democrats. Uh, I'm sure that this isn't too relevant to you, Sam, as far as your politicians, but uh, you might want to look at your own. Uh, I don't know how you guys have your representatives, but yeah, <laughs> yeah just a bunch of I, I had these. Uh, I, I saved these pictures as rats. One, two, three, and four. <laughs> a bunch <laughs> of rats. All these guys just trading on stocks because based on the information they have as uh, 70, 70 of them. Can you believe that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, total of, oh, oh, I have this out of order, total of 36 Republicans and 34 Democrats uh, in this article here. Um, mm. So, yeah. Yeah, so it speaks to what exactly that I'm saying. Um, I don't, I'm not a Republican. Uh, I believe that every citizen should renounce any political party and vote based on individual candidates. Yep. I that's a hundred percent what I've been trying. And that's what I've been preaching to my YouTube channel. Stop buying into this party line because the moment the party does something that you don't agree with, you have to go along. Right. It, it is. It is so weird to me that you register as a Republic or you register as a Democrat in America. Like that's a thing that happens. Like, it's just like, who cares? Like you wait until there's an election and you see what the policy platforms are and then you vote accordingly. Like it's really, really simple. Like yeah. we had a um, local election a couple of years ago. And we emailed the person that was running and said, hey, what's your stance on XYZ issue that we care about? And when they responded to us in a, you know, they were like, yes, we support this, that, and the other. And we're like, okay, cool. We'll vote for you. That's yeah. fine. It didn't actually matter what their party was. Yeah. And I'm actually anti-poll. Like, I think that they should not even be able to give out polls because if you're going to run on a platform, you'll see how people respond to it. But, or people will call you, like you said, or write a letter or something and let you know what they're but they send out all of these polls and they get all of this vast amount of data and information and they tailor their message towards a certain group of people. But that's not really what they expect to get done or want to get done. They're just trying to win votes. And it's easier to lie to people when you they're already telling you exactly what they want. I say, put out your platform and if people decide that you're a good fit for them, they'll vote for you. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Now, earlier you said that um, you... You brought up the word socialist. Like, yep. Do you consider yourself like socialist, like, um, like hardcore socialist? Like, when you say socialist, do you mean democratic socialist, or do you mean like Marxism? So, uh, probably a little bit of Marxism in there. I, I, I don't want to say a word, and that's it, because I, I don't know what that's going to conjure in your head. But um, what what I will say is that I think that um, workers don't have a healthy relationship with the means of production. Marxist, Marxist. Um, like I, I think that the the capitalization of um, things that are basic needs is at the level where it's really unhealthy. Um, I, I think that you know, particularly things like the um, rental market in Australia is currently. Can I swear here. <laughs> I can swear, right? It's fucked, right? The rental market is fucked in Australia. Um, I, I spent the first twenty years of my life, and I paid off someone's mortgage, 
And it's only because of the system that we have that it wasn't an asset I owned. I paid off someone else's asset. And I think that's frankly bullshit. Um, I think that uh, workers are exploited. Um, I spend a lot of time in retail, uh, the retail sector, selling computers and stuff, selling video games, selling holidays. And like I'm making scrapings while the owner of the company is making millions of dollars. Um, and then when there's like returns and shit, it comes out of my pay, despite the fact that it's his product um, that he's getting me to sell that wasn't suitable for the customer and stuff like that. So yeah. I, I think the the disparity between what a worker makes and what a capitalist makes, and when I say capitalist, I mean people that are using ownership of something, whether it's a company, whether it's a property, uh, whether it's an IP, um, is disproportionate to the amount of value that laborers are actually putting into those things. And I think that needs to be redressed. Um, particularly with inflation, um, making it harder and harder. Um, I don't know where you're at in your journey with uh, home ownership, but um, you know, I bought a house a couple of years ago. So I'm not saying I'm poor. Like I'm not. I'm not a poor yeah. socialist. That, that's like, oh, holy <laughs> shit, the rich, fuck the rich. But like, it it took me until 36 to have a mortgage uh, opportunity to buy a house. You think of our parents who they're buying houses at 22, 23, and starting families, right? If you're if you're a um, if you're a traditional family value sort of person, this should be shocking that this is the state that we're in, that workers don't have enough money to actually start their lives. Yeah. Until I, I think capitalism, I agree with the, the Marxist critique that capitalism puts profit and um, production over all else. And that means that a mom and a dad both have to go to work and send their child off to uh, daycare. I agree with that criticism. Now, I was going to ask you because... I'm far from any socialist or Marxist. I don't believe the ideology actually holds weight when it comes to the real world. But with that being said, do you are you in favor of workers unite or are you more concerned with the government needs to institute certain programs and certain laws and legislation to bring about a socialist state? So there's two different ways I think it needs to be addressed. One is, yeah, work, worker revolution needs to be built by the workers, right? The government's not going to do it because for starters, the government is working for the corporations, right? Um, and I don't say that in a conspiratorial sense. I say that in a very real sense that the government is looking after corporate interests. And that that's as simple as things like uh, governments that will fight over um, or states that will fight over where the next Amazon warehouse goes because that brings jobs despite the fact that Amazon's not going to pay any taxes, but it'll be people that are earning money and they'll take the people's taxes. Um, so like corporate interests are the government's interests. They're the same thing at the moment. Um, so I think that what needs to happen is that corporate interests need to stop being protected by the government, um, particularly since the government's not also protecting worker interests and that workers need to um, collaborate to actually have more uh, leverage when they're dealing with their employer. Uh, I think an individual worker is just fired and replaced. Um, maybe a bit less these days because how's unemployment in your country? Unemployment in my country is really low. So there's a bit more leverage for workers to be a bit more. Yeah. Unemployment has been up and down uh, lately for a variety of reasons. Once COVID yeah. hit and all of that took place. And then now you got some people who don't want to go back to work. And then people started going back to work and now people are like quiet quitting uh, something. Yeah. Of that sort of I love it. I've been quiet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's some of it's self-inflicted and some of it is not, yeah. but I, I'll say that, the, the, the problem, the critique that I have with the socialist uh, proposition um, that they present is, for one, if it is a Workers Unite mindset, then this is not a legal, this is not legislation, this is not 
government. This is a grounds, grass up movement. And either one, the Marxist or socialist argument is not sufficient enough for enough people to actually choose that route. And we have to ask ourselves why. This so the reason why is because that corporations union bus cor corporations hands down destroy the ability for workers to actually unionize and to actually collectively uh, bargain with their employer um, particularly in america where you've got at will employment so as soon as they get a sniff of people that are starting to look at leveraging their position so that they can get a fair um, deal with their employer they just get fired like so you, you say that there's no basis for the um, unions to build up because it's not a compelling um, I, I think that's just an discussion, excuse. but I, I think that's just an excuse. I think that how, how much money did Amazon spend on busting the union efforts, the ads that went everywhere? Like they were showing ads on fucking Twitch which, about which is, how amazing it is to is work at Amazon and you don't need a union. I've been to jobs that done that, right? I, I completely understand that critique. What, what I'm saying is if there are enough people pissed off with the wage situation and the, the work conditions that they're living under. If it was if it was bad enough, then it would be no hard sell to get enough people on board to make this happen. Either it's not as bad as people are making it seem, but I, I highly doubt that corporations are powerful enough to stop individual people from having conversations and deciding enough is enough. You, Either, you, you know the concept of you, you know the concept of an inelastic demand? No. Right. So when you talk about supply markets, right? So it sounds like what you're sort of talking about, right? Supply and demand. If the demand was high enough for people to um, advocate for better conditions, then the supply of low wage labor would dry up because everyone would be demanding higher. Is that a fair? Uh, I mean, that's the position yeah. of what you're saying. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, inelastic demands are the fact that people actually can't survive without work, right? So if they can currently be fired for talking about unionization, if that's the risk they have to take, and like, I've, I watch TikTok, I've seen the people at Starbucks get fired for trying to unionize. I've seen those TikToks. Like, if that's the risk, right, that's a disproportionate risk for the employees to take on the employer. I guess so don't, still, don't you think that still there's a, a lot out. of... That, that's still a cop out to me because, I mean, in the same country in America, what we have is civil rights leaders who went above and beyond despite the consequences and, and in many cases was death or beatings or being locked up and away from their families and literally be having dogs stuck on them and they still got up there and they marched and they fought i refuse to believe that people are so disgruntled with the way that capitalism is operating that losing your job is not that high of a risk compared to what other people throughout history have gone through to fight for their rights to I mean, that's an excuse. So, so, so to you, like the, the threat of homelessness isn't really that bad, right? Just, just tough it out. Well, I'm a unique case. I'm not going to say that. Look, like, I believe the individual. Some people are not warriors. Some people are not going to risk their family meals and stuff of that sort. I, I understand. I'm not saying that every person is that type of person, but uniquely for myself, I've been homeless. I've, I've darn near been starving. I've been through countless situations and if i was upset enough about something it's nothing that's going to stop me from fighting against it and i just believe that history is filled with too many exceptional leaders who decided despite all odds gandhi for an example who despite all odds and literally going to starve themselves to get what was right and to me i just think the socialists are copping out on this one so so you're aware that socialists have actually gone to like pretty significant lengths to fight for these things. Things like the five day work week, like that's worker 
action that actually created that. Like people that I'm not, have. I'm not, um, I'm not saying that socialists haven't like put in work throughout history. I like mean, they've the been Union. bombed, right? They, they've, <laughs> they've gone like even in America, they've gone, and I can't remember the name of it, so I'd, I'd have to go and look it up. Like you know, without knowing exactly what we're going to talk about, I'm not going to come here with my fact sheet. But like, mm-hmm. what was it? There was something. Um, like the term redneck came from um, they had the Red Kachiefs and like they were actually fighting for workers' rights. They took their guns and they they fought with the American government for workers' rights. They lost, but they went and they fought for it. Like the, the issue is I think you vastly underestimate the power that corporations have over people to manufacture consent, right? So all the media I, I, that we have, how, how many times have you seen like if only you stopped eating smashed avocado, you'd have a house. Stop whining. How many times have you seen that, right? It's a meme. But it's bullshit. Like there, there's no amount of $7 toasts that I could have not eaten over the last 20 years to have bought a house for three quarters of a million dollars here in Brisbane. And this is a cheap city. Yeah, I, I just, I, I look, I know socialists have done a lot of things in history. I'm not saying that all socialists have been cowards or not put their feet where their mouth was, right? I'm not saying that. I mean, the Soviet Union, the, the, the Bolshevik re- revolution and all of those stuff that took place that... um Lenin and all of them did. They overthrew a whole country and established a country based on those socialist ideas. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. What I'm saying is that does not negate the fact that here in 2022, there are a group of people who are claiming that the capitalist system is screwing them over. Yet, where is that same level of energy right here, right now? And if you're going to say that people are afraid of losing their job, I just think that that's an excuse. I just don't buy it. I don't see how I could buy it because I know that people are capable of rising up. And we've seen multiple cases throughout history. Learn from so the socialists I, that came before. I, I think you're also overestimating, uh, not overestimating, but overvaluing sort of the um, this, the sexy revolutions, right? Because there's actually a lot of quieter revolutions that are actually happening. So, for example, in the startup scene, like the uh, small entrepreneurs and stuff, there's actually been movements towards things like um, social impact economies as opposed to just the fiscal economy. So there are people that are trying to usurp capitalism um, in a sense to stop generating our products that are based on a profit motive. And they're starting to try and generate outcomes that are a um, social impact. Um, I priority, think right? So uh, like, just okay. because they're not violent revolutions, doesn't mean that there aren't revolutions happening. You've said yeah, I'm yourself not saying quite violent. quitting. I, the way yeah, I, I'm not saying people should go out and be violent. What I'm saying is that there should be enough people on your side at this point, if this is exactly the situation and people are so like disgruntled with the way things are, you should have more than enough people to make a real impact. And but, but there I just are, think there that are they're failing to convince enough people. Okay. All right. I'll, 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 I'll look at it from this perspective, right? When it comes to socialists, I think that they're missing the mark. When I say that is the problem uh-huh. is not capitalism. The problem is consumerism. The consumers set the market. The consumers decide what is valuable and what isn't valuable. They decide to spend their dollars. You know how many people line up to buy where Amazon is selling? If you're trying to change the workers, you're in the wrong place. You should be trying to change the buying patterns of the people who are causing Jeff Bezos to take the business model that he has. So did people decide diamonds were valuable or did the company decide what diamonds were valuable? People decided. No. 
Companies company trying to sell decided. Things off. The company, the company. it was history. literally. I know the history behind how <laughs> they have all of these diamonds and they decided to only put out a certain amount of diamonds and they did all of this campaigning and stuff like that to make people believe that diamonds, diamonds are girls' best friends. You got to spend three months of your salary. I, that was I, the I, company, that wasn't the people. Well, this is the thing though companies try to sell things to people all the time. People decide what they consider to be valuable or not. You know how many companies have gone out of business because people just wasn't buying it. It didn't matter how many campaigns they ran, don't have how much money they threw at the problem. If you have a bad product and people don't want to buy your product, they're not going to. How many people, how many businesses went out of business? Not because people weren't buying from them, but because Amazon was undercutting them. Oh, a lot of businesses did. And you know why Amazon was able to undercut them? Because more because people were they finding can value afford to in take Amazon, a loss. But Amazon didn't always have the money. Before there was million-dollar campaigns, Amazon and they built was up enough capital book. so that they could disrupt did, other categories. How did they build up enough capital? By offering people. By being a successful bookstore, right? And okay, if they're a successful bookstore, offer, great. Right. Exactly. Here's, here's an anecdote, right? I used to work. Uh, there's a company here called Harvey Norman, right? It's like a computer, big box retail, fridges, computers, all that sort of stuff. The Another competitor tried to start selling laptops. You know what they did? They go, fuck it. We're going to sell this laptop $200 below cost just to keep them out of business and keep them from entering the game, right? Once you get enough capital, you actually own the market to a certain degree, right? You get your duopolies, your monopolies, and then it actually doesn't matter whether you're competitive. People are forced to buy from you because, again, people don't have, like, who's got the disposable income to spend an extra couple of hundred dollars on a uh, laptop that they can get somewhere else when everything else is getting more expensive, right? When Amazon is selling stuff, that is cheap, accessible, and gets there the next day, then it's no wonder the mom and pop store goes out of business because capital at the end of the day is what creates the circumstances that we, we just um, don't actually have a reasonable choice. I'm confused though. Isn't that what the goal is? Like if I own That's the goal of capitalism. That's what I'm critiquing. Okay. That's the goal with people in general. People compete uh, against their neighbors. People say, oh, he got a bigger boat than me. People want to be better than their competition or the people that they see as the, the other. And I would, you know what happens when one company decides that they want to outbid another company and they go to a, like a war between who can produce the most products for the cheapest price. I win because I get to buy cheaper laptops and I'm happy when I go home with my laptop that was $200 less. How, how's your, how, how are you enjoying your Android or iPhone? Uh, I mean, it's pretty awesome. Which one have you got out of curiosity? I got an Android. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a good example where the competition has got to the point where there's, there's no actual competition now. They both charge a 30% fee for any app that you're going to get. They both have a monopoly on their section of the market. Where's the advantage to you that if you want an Android phone? Sorry, that's it. Like, you don't actually have a choice. You get an Android phone or an iPhone. Like, you've well, got no choice left anymore. The, the capital has collected to a point where but the benefits that you're once, telling me about no longer once exist. Again, once again, that's a cop-out. There are so many phones on the market. Look at Huawei, and there are so many different phones that are sold in different countries and different... I, I, I will say this. We're just I, too lazy. Amazon, we're we're just... Okay, but we're too I'm talking lazy. about Samsung versus Huawei. I'm, look, some people are too poor to make decisions. I understand. They can't just get up and go to Whole Foods or whatever, right? I, I understand that. But... There's a vast population in these countries who have the means of doing alternatives, but decide to keep going with the same companies. 
I don't have to order from Amazon at all. I can literally go to all of these shops in my local neighborhood and decide to shop with them. I'm choosing Amazon because it's easier for me because they're going to bring it directly to my door. That's a me problem. Amazon only sold me something that was so good. I just didn't want to deny it. Because they are the only ones that have enough capital to provide that service. Like they, you you understand the difference between, okay, how, how does one of your local businesses compete with Amazon when that business needs to make $10 per widget, but Amazon can survive off a dollar per widget? I'll tell you what. Where's the real do. competition there? They need to do exactly what Amazon did before they were. But that, that's gone. That's a point in time, right? Like before there was online marketplace, there was a need in the market, right? Amazon has expanded into that entire gap. Right. So that niche is full, right? So for you to say that they just need to do what Amazon did, that's that's not realistic. That, that's not actually possible. At one point, we had a company at one point in America called Blockbusters. And oh, we had them too. Used yeah, to be one down and, the road. Yeah. Right. If you wanted to watch a movie, you was going to Blockbusters. Blockbusters completely had the vid the the, the uh the movie game on lock. And then they didn't because somebody sitting somewhere else came up with a good idea and they won. And and because they won. I get to watch DVDs. I get to stream. I get to Redbox. I'm happy knowing that I live in a country where somebody can come up with a better alternative or a better product and outcompete their competitors because I win. See, huh. but that's again, again, you, you, you're confusing the idea of having competition with a criticism of capitalism, right? You can have competition outside of capitalism. Capitalism to me is when the capital is amassed to a point where it becomes impossible to compete. Right. So there is no competing with Amazon in that case. I think the streaming video services at the moment, they are actually competing at the moment, right? Because they are not focused on Netflix. It used to be almost entirely Netflix. Now it's kind of a criticism because it's back to the old model of needing a million different things and it costs almost as much as cable. But now you've got competition between Prime, Hulu, Disney Plus, Netflix, uh, Paramount, Stan, uh, Crunchyroll. Like there's competition there right? Because the capital isn't focused. My criticism is focused capital that creates circumstances where there's no longer the need to compete. Okay. Let me ask you a question. If you came up with a popsicle stand and there were other popsicle stands in your area, but you happen to make a popsicle that everybody loved, the popsicle was so good that everybody refused to go to any other popsicle stand and get a popsicle from them. Would you then think it would be right for somebody to decide, you know what, we should break your company up and stop you from selling these popsicles that everybody loves because you put everybody else out of business and they can no longer compete with you. Would you think that would be it, the, the, the fair thing to do? And I've got the one popsicle stand. Yeah. So I didn't go and buy all the other popsicle stands. No, you just, you yeah, just so got a unfair. product that's yeah. so good that it put everybody else out of business. Yeah. Is, and that's, you yeah, no, it would be unfair to come, absolutely. to come break you down. Right. Yeah. Because okay. they haven't amassed capital, right? So now tell me what the example is of that circumstance that happened that wasn't because they amassed capital to the point where they were no if longer you, able to be competed with. If you had so much um, capital because your popsicle was so good and you decided to buy all the other popsicle stands in your neighborhood, right? And you decided that you were going to run all of those and nobody could move into the market because they didn't have the capital to compete with you. All it takes is for one guy to create a better popsicle than you and start selling it from his house, and you out of business. No, because I just go and buy them. What if he doesn't want to sell the popsicle? I've got plenty of capital. I'm sure I can make a good offer. Okay, that's how so... it happens. That's how it works. That's what. That's how we get to the point where there's like what half a dozen companies that own everything in your shop and your supermarket. Okay, so 
what we're saying is we don't want anybody to be so good to where they get to the point where everybody just prefers them and they have enough capital to where they can prevent any competition in the future. What happens when prevent that's the case? The that I'm with, yeah. Okay. What if, if you're if you're engaging in behavior to prevent competition, that's where we have an issue. If you're so good that no one else can compete, fine. You know what? Netflix mm-hmm. was kind of like that for a long time. They were so good no one could compete, and then they got really shit, and suddenly you've got competitors. If Netflix started buying all those competitors, I think we'd have a problem. But because that's not currently happening in that space, I think that's a good example of your popsicles there, where Netflix had the best popsicle for a while. Do you believe that most Americans from coming in? Do you believe that most Americans can live without Amazon? You've got Walmarts, right? Yeah. Costco's. You got, you got all kind of different avenues of buying the same stuff from different companies, but yet people are still buying Amazon. And yet Amazon is still buying other companies. What was it? Roomba they bought recently because they wanted you know, to get more you, uh You know why they keep buying more companies? Because we keep because, giving them more capital to do it. And because it's capital like, attracts capital. We're creating it's a shit, problem right? and then we're complaining exactly. about it. All this capital is a problem and letting companies infinitely expand is an issue. Okay, so, but what if the only way to make people happy is for that company to continuously expand? Because we, the consumer, demand it. We enjoy the the benefits that come with it. No, 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 no. The only people that uh, demand... I want to check real quick. I'm sorry. So I, I just want to clarify real quick. Javier, are you saying that this is a good thing, that you, 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 you applaud this, that we should allow these companies to grow at whatever rate the consumers no, allow? So I, I'm... I'm, I'm and it depends on the circumstance, but what I'm saying is I am not blaming the company. I am blaming us for allowing them to do that. I'm blaming okay. us you're, for you're, keep buying their product and giving them that capital so that they can't do it. And then we get mad at them. Your contention we be mad is at simply ourselves. that you're not, you're not, you're just simply mad at the people. You're not. Yeah, the, 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 the anger the is directed in the wrong place. That's what I'm saying. When socialists direct their anger in the wrong place, the only reason these companies are able to do this in the first place is because consumers are giving them the capital to do so. So shouldn't you be okay. trying to convince the consumer to not give them that capital in the first place? No, because okay, not every right. company engages in that behavior, right? That's a choice by the company to chase growth, right? So there's the idea of a lifestyle business, which I think plenty of people have lifestyle businesses where it's about covering costs and it's about being comfortable, right? And then there are corporate companies, particularly when they start to really grow and particularly when they're on the... Um, you know, when they're publicly traded, it becomes a growth business, right? Where they need to continue to uh, demonstrate you exponential me, growth. You can't give me an example of any company who has completely dominated the whole market to where you can't go find alternatives. But that's not my argument, right? My Well, for starters, Google. How is Google running the whole landscape? Like there you, are- You want a phone without, you want a, you want a phone? Okay, so this is a duopoly, right? If you want just one, I think that's fine. But I, I still think it's a salient point that there are two companies you can go to to get a phone. I know people who still got flip phones. So if, if we <laughs> want to talk about like the, accept, like I got a Nokia sitting in, in the cupboard somewhere, right? But I mean, let's be real, right? The market is floating on those two options. Uh, do you yeah, accept most, that or are you mo- like, no, no, mo- do you no think mo- there's a most people man? are buying Android or iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. That's because most people are buying it. There have been alternatives that have come up and guess what? Nobody bought them. Because they can't compete. How, how do you compete with Google or Apple at this point without having a billion dollars? Okay. Before Google was Google, who was it? There was no Google in the market and uh-huh. it, these startups started controlled- during the growth of internet. 
there there were there were uh companies or whatever that controlled Alta Vista, Ask Jeeves, um yeah. get some a lot of the others and stuff. But yeah. like you, you your point that everyone starts and then suddenly someone fills a niche, therefore it's okay. Like the niche is currently filled and it's an issue that the niche is currently full. Okay, well what I'm saying, my my argument is this. We already agree, like Amazon, for example, people bring Amazon up all the time when they talk about these particular issues. But we just agree that there are Walmarts, there are um, different multitude of different competitors out there in each different niche that Amazon is trying to fill. If we have a problem with Amazon getting too big, we can choose right here, right now. Everybody just stop shopping at Amazon. The people who can, let's do it. But instead of convincing people not to spend their capital with Amazon because of what Amazon is doing, we're going to say, well, it's the company's fault because the company is advertising too good or they're buying out the competition, but yet they haven't bought out all the competition. And instead of us, while we still can go shop at these other places, we're just saying, I got to buy Amazon. So do, do you think it's more realistic to influence several million people or a couple of dozen of people? A couple of dozen people. This is why we focus on Amazon and not the shoppers. Yeah, right? but the, here's the problem. Here's the, here's the issue, right? It doesn't get to the root of the problem because if you interject in the in the market, your couple of people decide to interject with a law or legislation that interrupts what the consumer wants, you're going to lose that battle every time because the consumer is not going to allow you to take away their brand new toys and the stuff not. that they want. Okay, so so this is where we get back to the worker stuff, right? Because to me, the solution is that companies like Amazon, they need to pay more to their workers, right? Then they, they need to be funneling less into profits because it's those profits that are being uh, reinvested as capital year on year, right? To create that growth. So the fact that the argument is not just we're taking away your shinies, it's that, no, no, Amazon, right? The amount of infrastructure that they utilize in any country that they operate in is monumental. Uh, monumental, and the amount of tax they pay, like I pay more on every dollar I earn on tax than Amazon pays in pretty much any country they operate in. Right? That's bullshit. They use the roads more than me. They use the education of the workers that my government paid for. But they're also they're also providing a much of a bigger service than you are as well. No, they're they're, they're benefiting they're more money. people lives than you are. No, they're not. I don't so want to get into what me, my work is, but no, <laughs> on I, well, a per person basis, I don't think they are. Okay. Maybe you as an individual may not, but for the I, average I, citizen. No, I'm, I'm not talking about me. I think everyone here and the interactions that they have with their friends and family and their local community on a per person basis is more influential than the management, yeah, the, 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 um, C, C office, C suite office at Amazon. It, it's a bigger imp impact well, than well, they're having because well, it's a diffuse impact, is, right? You're saying that they're using that they're not paying as much taxes as as you are, but they're utilizing so much infrastructure and things. Hundred percent. I agree with you, but they, at the they same benefit time, off our education. They benefit off our healthcare. They benefit off our roads. They okay, benefit off they they do. But guess what? They're doing that for the sake of benefiting the people who want their product. No, they're not. No, they're not. <laughs> they're, I, they're, I just you I just love capitalism, right? You love capitalism, right? I mean, I don't love capitalism. I just think it's. But the you, best you that think we it's have. fantastic, right? So I, I think it's so. Let, let's let's not say they're doing it for the customer. They're, they're doing it for the capital. They're doing it for the accumulation. Of yeah, capital. but I'm benefiting from it, and many millions of people are benefiting from it. People love knowing that their packages is coming to their doors. People love that. That's we, a benefit. Okay, we, but we can separate that. People enjoy getting a package with people enjoy a company that is not paying their fair share in either labor or taxes. 
Okay, let me ask you a question. If Amazon decided tomorrow that they were going to make all their workers slaves, we're not going to pay any of y'all. We're going to force y'all to come to work and you're going to have to work against your will. Do you think all of the consumers would decide to keep buying Amazon? I think they're currently in not that situation, but I think it's uh, pretty so, close. Okay, so what I'm saying is apparently the consumers feel whatever whatever condition that Amazon is giving their workers is worth the risk for them to get the benefit of having Amazon. Do you think you know the conditions of working at Amazon? You, you know that, was it Amazon? There was a company, I think it was Amazon. I think one of the Amazon warehouses, they were actually on track to exhaust the population of uh, working adults in one of their catchments. So like they had hired and fired so many people that they were actually looking at needing to bus people in from other areas because they were just ripping through the population because of their um, shitty work um, conditions. I wonder the people who they fire still shop at Amazon. If, if it's so many people... But it doesn't matter, right? Because it, 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 this, this to me is kind of like, um, you know, uh, blaming the victim, right? Because do, do you think that corporations and um, advertising have an influence on people's behavior? Uh, of course. Yeah, Do you think it's consensual that people are affected by uh, advertising and other forms of uh, targeted, let's say, but manipulation? It's true that that happens, but all you're doing is making the argument that we need to educate people more. That's all you're making the argument. Apparently, we have enough people who are so naive to allow certain advertisements to manipulate them to buy a certain product. We need to educate so people on this. So do you think it's naive that there's specific BPM, like beats per minute for the music in shopping centers that's actually know. used that's to ensure people buy more? Right? Yeah, that's psychological. So you, so you think it's naive for people to not be aware of Let me ask you a question. I think that's a pretty you, obscure fact. You know that they are trying to manipulate you when you go into the mall and you hear a certain amount of type of music. You know this, right? We know this, yeah. But do you think okay. most people know that? Probably not. And that's why I said the solution is to educate people then. Because now so, that you know, you know not to be manipulated by that particular tactic. Well, that's not actually true. Like, actually, I, I can't personally tell if I'm affected by it still when I know that fact, right? Just because you know something wow. doesn't mean it doesn't have it. It's really hard yeah. to tell because you can't put eyes on yourself. I'm, I mean, true, but in the case that it could be the case that you're not being affected by it, and it could be the case that you still are being affected by it. But until we have any way of proving which one is which... I just don't see, like, we need to fundamentally change the system and how, you know, worker relationships with their companies on a chance that, well, I don't know if I'm being manipulated or not, even though I have the education. So, again, and, and like, without having this topic beforehand to get all my links and stuff, like, you, you know that worker cooperatives, like, where workers actually have a um, bigger stake in the company, they've got a higher survival rate than traditional companies? Uh I don't, I don't have, yeah. I haven't looked into that. I've heard claims like that. Uh, but I mean, I don't, maybe you're right. I, let's assume that you're right because I don't have the information or whatever to confirm like, it. And that's, that's what I mean. Like we, we can talk about like, oh, people don't know that it's bad or if people, people do know that they're bad. So that's, if, if they weren't okay with it, they wouldn't it, it still, it, it still like, wouldn't beat the, the, the record of capitalism. It still wouldn't beat the record. Like capitalism has uplifted more people out of poverty across the or planet. Capitalism has produced more technological advances like no even no. that's Are you like, using wi-fi right now yeah I'm using wi that's wi government that was invented in australia they're no, using internet guess it's what, a military no. this laptop device. like these are governments that have done this not no capitalism. The, the, the governments created them capitalism is what bought it to everybody's homes 
Yeah, they they commodified it, right? They turned exactly. it into capital, and they but the innovation it. doesn't belong to capitalism. That's what I reject. Is that it is that's innovative. not that's not what I'm saying. I said capitalism has allowed more people to be lifted up out of poverty than any other form of economic uh, structure that you can think of. And, so, and the reason I'm saying that just because capitalism didn't per se create the particular product, capitalism produced the means in which to expand that product across the globe and across different countries and stuff of that sort. So, so why is house ownership lower than it's ever been? If capitalism's so great, shouldn't we get more people having homes over time, not less people? I can't. Correlation doesn't always equal causation. There could be a multitude. That's of true, but that, I think that, we can pretty clearly see that the correlation between home ownership is the rate of wages versus the cost of homes, right? Like that. There's a, they're, they're those graph pretty closely together compared to what someone had to pay thirty years ago versus I what think, someone has to pay now. I, I look for. I, it I just don't know. It feels really disingenuous to be like, I, oh, people's no, wages has no impact on home ownership. No, I'm not saying that it doesn't, but I'm saying there could be a multitude of different factors that impact that as well. Like in my day and age, a lot of people would prefer to rent than own a home because you don't have to cut your grass. If something breaks yep. in the house, somebody can come fix it. Like there are people who are consciously who have the means of doing so to buy a home who choose not to. So it, it can't just be one factor that, it, oh, it's capitalism fault. It could be decisions. It could be cultures. It, it, it could be a shift in how people are seeing the market and how they want to participate in it. It could be a variety of things. And part of that could be a flaw of capitalism. And I would agree so, with you that. But for what my entire 20s, I told myself I'm not buying a house because I prefer to rent because it gives me flexibility, right? But what's more flexible than if I had, had the mean? Well, I had the means, right? Like, I, you know, if we all rent at the moment or if we all pay a mortgage, like anyone that's renting can pay off a mortgage, mm -hmm. right? I believe that with every being, every uh, part of my being, yet yeah. they're not allowed onto the property market until they can amass capital. And that prevents them from getting onto the housing market, which provides opportunities for people that have capital to continue to buy up houses, rent it to these people, and then have their capital assets paid off. Like I said, that, that could be an aspect of it. But I, I'll also make the argument that part of, I know in a lot of areas in America, part of the reason that housing is so expensive is because of all of the red tape and all of the regulations surrounding building a house. And how we decide to build homes. More people want to live in suburban areas than want to live in tight cities. And when you have people spread out, they take up more land, less land to build upon or to build up. There are zoning issues that a lot that goes into building and owning a property that a lot of people either A, decide not to pay and don't want to participate in, or B, by the time they are able to build that house, they have to sell it for an enormous amount of money because of all the red tape and all the expenses that they had to put into building that house in the first place. So that's not necessarily capitalism. That's more so government that's causing that price to also go up as well. So would you be critical of homeowners associations that um, do contribute to a lot of that red tape? Uh, like they, they will do things like they will lobby uh, the local government to ensure that certain types of building don't get built. Um, they become issues with things like affordable um, housing options that don't get built because of the fear that it will reduce would, the values of already say, existent owners. I would say they have the right to lobby. But I would argue that everyone's got the right, but are you yeah, critical yeah, yeah, of that yeah. position? Yeah, but our politicians are deciding to, or the people in charge are allowing their, to, allowing them to do so, right? Against what you might consider the will of the people. Most people might say that's a bad idea. And I would argue that you need to vote those people out and put in people who are going to protect the vast majority of the people in that community who need a place to stay and have a home. And, but to me, that's not capitalism. To me, that's 
wrong representation who are allowing groups like homeowners associations to lobby them and change their minds. That's not capitalism. In See, my the, the, the reason I link that to capitalism is because it is the interests of the capital owners, right? The people that own their houses that motivates that behavior, right? That, that's why HOAs exist is to preserve well, tacitly. That's why they exist is to preserve the market value of homes so that when they retire, they sell it for double what they paid for it 20 years ago. And then they just go on a round the world cruise until they die. Right. Like yeah. that's the, the, the function of a HOA is to preserve capital, which I think makes it inherently a capitalist structure. Well, I have a HOA where I, where I stay and, um, I like having an HOA It's because I do want to be able to have a certain amount of control on how my neighborhood operates and to make sure that people who violate certain rules and norms of the neighborhood are punished because when you buy a home, that's a long-term investment. And when you have a long-term investment, you're going to be there 15, 30 years. You want to make sure that you have some kind of level of control on your, on your neighborhood. So HOAs, and just like I would say, unions fundamentally are not negative in themselves. The question would then be is, what is motivating and driving these people to want certain outcomes? And that's what we have to attack. But I just don't see the, the big bag boogeyman in capitalism. I think crony capitalism, and I think me and you would agree on that, that's when the government and the corporations are in bed with each other. I'm 100% for stopping that. And I think crony capitalism is what poisons capitalism. And I think that is why people are seeing capitalism as being this big bad monster, because the government has married the corporations and allowing them to get away with things they should have never been able to get away with in the first place. So I think government, bad government is more of the problem than capitalism itself. And, and your solution to bad government is no government. No, I, I think or like less government. government. Sorry. I was being a bit cheeky there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want I have, the government. Yeah. I, I, I want there, the government. That goes to the question that was asked earlier from Brian Stevens. He wanted me to ask you, Javier, in, in your opinion, is anarchy a valid form of government over long terms? It's not a form of government at all. Uh, anarchy <laughs> is literally the, the abolition of government. Every man for himself. Right. Yeah, anarchy so. capitalism. So <laughs> I guess more charitably, would you would you say that anarchy is a good idea at all? Absolutely not. I, I, okay. I don't believe in no government. Uh, I believe in limited government. I think the government should serve cer certain functions. And when they start to get outside of those functions, I think that ultimately leads to the restrictions of rights and freedoms of the citizens. So I think the government has a role in protecting the, the country, foreign and domestically, from terrorism, from wars. We need uh, police officers to maintain and protect people's rights. I think that's what uh, a good government's function is. I think the government also has a role to play when it comes to laws and, you know, having judges in place to dis make this handle disputes between citizens. But the moment the government starts saying that we're going to take care of your health care, we're going to make sure you're all good. <laughs> The moment the government starts to decide, well, everybody deserves a house, so we're going to buy a house for everybody and make sure everybody lives there. It's like, no, at least in America, you have the right to the pursuit of happiness. It doesn't say you have the right to have happiness provided <laughs> to you. And I think that's where I draw the line when it comes to government. Serve your functions. And anything else should be up to local governments, state and city Um people who right so we, you're talking about federal government there yeah 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 i'm not could, talking could about you could you maybe broaden out a little bit what you think government should do and just sort of include all levels because to me the the distinction of federal state local is meaningless when we're talking about what powers should we abdicate yeah. to a but elected you still have city government right you, you still yeah have we do but like to, to me like if you're saying that this is the role of government in my head i'm thinking at all levels these are the things that we would 
dictate. I, I'm curious yeah, yeah, where yeah, your yeah. level is, even if you include that local element. Okay, so here I I think that local and state government is should have more power over an individual in their in their state in their city than the federal government has. Like I said, I think the federal government should handle disputes. They should um, between states. They should handle disputes that the states can't handle. They should protect us uh, federally, like wars and stuff like that. But when it comes to the, the state local uh, level, I think you you belong more to your state than you do to your uh, federal government. And I think that's if your state and your city is more likely to understand the issue that you're dealing with, and you're more likely to be able to reach that person so that they can answer your problems and stuff like that. And I think that if California in America decides that they want to do Medicaid for everybody, they want to give universal Medicare um, to everybody, that's fine. If the state of California wants to pay for that, that's their state. They should be able to do that. And guess what happens? If it works and California is successful, every other state is going to copy it because it makes their citizens happy. So so do you think that um, funding should stay in the states as well, like the individual states? Because uh, to my understanding yeah. at the moment, like red states are overwhelmingly propped up by the profits made in blue states. And I, I'm not saying yeah. that's because Democrats are better at money, but it's because the bigger cities tend to, yeah, they have the they tend to bring in and... more money. Yeah. Um, because I if think... you're going to split it like that, doesn't that then sort of say that, well, the finances should be separate too? Because if, if yeah. um, who'd you say? Did you say Florida or California? Uh, California. California, California yeah. were going to do Medicaid for all, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to need their money and they're going to be less able to hold up the other states. Isn't Absolutely. That a risk? Absolutely. Uh, the states owe a certain amount of taxes to the federal government because the federal government has to provide those functions, right? So the federal government needs funding. The question would be then is, does the federal government have the right to take that money and start pouring it into things they shouldn't be doing in other states, if that makes sense, right? Like, I think states, for the most part, should keep their cash and it should go to that state unless it's a federal function that serves the whole country. But here's the problem. Well, it's not really a problem. But let's say Florida, for example, doesn't have the same amount of funds that California has. Then Florida has to do what everybody else has to do. They have to figure out what makes them valuable and maximize their potential to draw in new citizens, new capital from other states or other countries to bolster up their um, economy. And so it's about competition and it's about learning from the mistakes of other states. Let's say California did implement... Uh, universal health care right and what if it fails massively at least we didn't implement it across the whole country and everybody fails at least we have what, a point go ahead but what, what, what if it fails because people start going to that state from out of state to receive medical care then they would realize that whatever it is that they're doing isn't working so they're but it's not working because it's a bad system they're not working because it's not federal yeah, if it's not right, working, you, you, your mate in California, you're like, hey, I'm just going to sign up, um, you know, my, my mobile phone bill. I'm just going to put your address. I'm now a California resident. I'm going to go get my um, health looked after. Well, that's something right? that that's something that California would have to address. I mean, well, when it comes address, to legend, right? like, it, comes how, how can you address when someone say, I live here. Here's a bill with my uh, address. Well, you have to have some kind of proof of like. Residency. That's it. That's that's right. my mobile. I've I've got a bill addressed to me here. In yeah, California. but if you know that people are taking advantage of that system, I'm pretty sure somebody smart enough will put something together to prevent that from happening. Right. So th th this is what they would call in um, policy circle. So I, I've actually done a master's in um, not a master, sorry, a graduate certificate in policy analysis. Right. And and this is what we would chalk up as being what we call a wicked problem. 
right? It's a problem that doesn't actually have an easy solution, right? Because yeah. once you get to the point where you start providing a solution to what if people just put their mates address in California and say, I live in California, how deep do you have to go into invading that person's um, sort of privacy to get to where they live? And is it worth it for that outcome, right? So I, I would look at that and go, well, it means that state-based healthcare is actually not a good policy, right? It needs to be federal at that level. I get your critique and there's going to be a group of people like me and yourself sitting in a room and hashing out these details, mm. right? Somebody's going to raise this up as a potential problem. And somebody probably smarter than me in this particular area is going to come up with a solution and say, well, maybe they need a certain amount of period of time approved for residency to make sure that it just didn't change it last month. Or maybe and you're going to have people that slip through the cracks because people are smart, but that's laws anyway. It's like murder is illegal, but people still murder. You're going to always have people who find a way to circumvent it. But does that mean that it's a bad implementation overall? That's something that you will have to figure out. But at least yeah, and if it does. Yeah, go ahead. That, that, that's what we're talking about, whether something's good or bad, not whether something failed or didn't fail, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would, we would want to see what makes the citizens happy. Like, if we know that citizens from other um, states want to go get the same system that California has because it's working for the people in that state, they're going to try to fight the vote in people in their states to implement that. And other politicians in those states are going to start running on that platform because it's popular and people like it. I Look, I, I think here I wasn't critiquing the idea yeah. that, yes, states can implement something. If it's good, the other states are going to steal it. I think that's a fantastic yeah. model. Um, I just, I think when we're talking about what I consider basic human rights, mm -hmm. um, health, shelter, food, like, shouldn't that be well, at the federal level? I, I don't consider health to be a like, human do, do, right. Why, why isn't health a human right? Like, I, I need because to understand this because uh, I struggle it's, it's with this not so something, much. It's not something the government can promise you. It's not something the government they can, can protect They do it from. in Australia. I mean, it, they do it the in the UK. They the do it moment, in Canada. Well, that's, it, they might call that expectancy. there, but uh, on a philosophical level, right? <laughs> a right is something that is, and my, I, when I say a right, I mean something like a natural right, like freedom of speech. I have the freedom to speak because I am the person who decides what I say, right? I don't need you to give me permission to speak. I don't need anybody else to participate in my freedom of speech. But if I say you have the right to health, then you're involving somebody else's rights to give you something. Does that make sense? Like It, the, it makes sense. But for me, I like when, when you say that uh, freedom of speech is a natural right, I, I don't think that's an accurate way to describe it, right? Because freedom of speech is a political right. It's not a natural right. It only I want to interject on that. I want to interject on that point. Oh, okay. So um, freedom of speech... You have the right to say whatever you want to say, but people will have the right to say whatever they want to say back to you. They may have the right to feel whatever they want to say, feel whatever they want to feel, but then they may do whatever they want to do in response to what you say. And it is the, the government, the monopoly on violence that protects your freedom of speech. It is people who uh, ostensibly volunteer to be policemen, to be judges, to be prosecutors, all of these jobs that people take that protect your freedom of speech. Without them doing their jobs, being paid by our tax dollars, you have no freedom of speech. I, I'm, so, the reason that I have freedom of speech is because I'm paying these fools to protect it. That's, <laughs> right. what, that's what I'm saying. Like so, I, I, I'm investing in my right to be protected, but I still right. have that right, whether it's protected or not. No, 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 you don't. No, that's how, my how point. So? If you don't pay these people 
to do all these things, then the only way that you can say what you want to say is to literally fight everybody. No, I can who has still a problem say what, what I want to say. I just have to deal with other consequences for saying it. Right. You have to fight every but single person. I still person. have the freedom to say it. That, do you consider that a real freedom then? I of mean, course. Right, to if, spend if, the if rest you of your life another, fighting to say what you want to say? If you and another guy are on an island, it's just you two, right? And this guy is bigger than you, stronger than you. Are you going to say because nobody's there to protect you, you can't call him a bastard? No, I mean in the same but way. If he kills you, you have the wrong. same. You Are have you the free? right to take yeah, care you of your own health. You have the right to say bastard. You could spend the rest of your life studying your body. You could spend the rest of your life studying your body, learning every herb on the planet. You could spend the rest of your life learning how to cut your own body open and trying to anesthetize yourself and trying to do your own brain surgery. I suppose I, I don't know if that's physically, literally possible, but in a philosophical vacuum, let's pretend that that's possible. You could hypothetically have the right to health, quote unquote by taking care of yourself right but because we yeah. pay all these other people to protect that quote-unquote right you can get health care and i think that it's well, not so disanalogous as you are making it i don't have to accept your money like for example the police can all pack up and go home tomorrow i can't force them to be police to protect sure. my right and you can't force an the health care workers to exactly yeah, that's what i'm saying i don't the government can't force a surgeon to do surgery on you that's violating no. his rights Sure, so you don't have do a natural right to get a surgery or the natural right to somebody else's product or medicine. That's somebody else's. It belongs to somebody else. The moment the government comes in and decides to tell that person that they must give you what you want, that's a violation of that person's rights. That, that's sure, not how even, healthcare works. Though. Even if, even with your freedom of speech, like all the judges and the policemen could quit tomorrow, um, and you still have quote unquote the freedom of speech. Exactly. It, so I mean. The, the the two situations aren't so disanalogous. It's I, not so different. They couldn't be further. They couldn't be further apart. My healthcare depends on another person's ability to do it to me. My freedom of speech does not need somebody else to open my lips and move my mouth for me. It's a completely, totally different action. A totally you need somebody different... else to protect your ability. No, I don't. Many people can protect their own ability to speak, but one one thing you can't do is do surgery on yourself. I, I submit that if you try to protect your own ability to speak, eventually somebody's going to take away your ability to speak. Of course they will. And that's why I use my money to pay other people to protect my right. <laughs> right. So we, we do that like with healthcare, you're... right? Uh, say, it, say it again, Sam? So uh, uh, we do that with healthcare, right? Like we pay people to protect our health. So Yes, but we can't force them to. If you're that's comfortable to answer this question, what do you spend right. on healthcare in a month? Uh, I got... Uh, I got... Uh, uh, probably around six, seven hundred dollars, and that's but that's just because I've been getting a lot of work done, dental work. But yeah, yeah, for the yeah. most part, um, I pay maybe like twenty five, thirty dollars a month on my health care. Um, insurance that's got to be subsidized by the government. No, my wife has good health care. Oh, so <laughs> she pays addition, like she pays the bulk we pay, of it, and then you've got like an additional amount. Yeah, yeah, that that comes on top right. of it. Yeah, so it's not really twenty five bucks. It's like covered under something else. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. So, in exchange, two no, percent of my income, I get healthcare. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty good deal, right? Uh, and if I was making under unless, a certain amount, it would be zero. Unless, you, if I go into a doctor's office and I say I got a million dollars, doctor, for you to do the surgery on me, guess what? At the end of the day, that doctor can still say no. When you make healthcare human, right? What you're initially saying is that doctor does not have the ability to say no. That's ridiculous. That, 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 that's a really pessimistic view of what healthcare workers are and what they're motivated by. Judges like, recuse I understand themselves all the time. Well, judges, judges recuse, recuse themselves, themselves for the like time. certain reasons. Like, 
You can't just say, I don't want to take the case, so I'm not going to do it. You can say, I don't feel that I can be objective on this case. That's that's a, that's a valid reason to reject it. That's just like a surgeon saying, I don't feel like I have the ability to perform this surgery, so I'm going to allow another surgeon to do it. You like, can just say, I'm drunk. I'm a surgeon. I'm drunk. Can't do the surgery. <laughs> it's like I mean, we, 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 okay, we, we've <laughs> never come across this issue um, in Australia where like someone has not been able to get health care because a doctor said no. Well, what I'm saying is, like, I'm not sure that's a reasonable. If you want to say that healthcare, irrational. if you want to say that healthcare is a good thing that people should have, it's different than saying it's a fundamental right because a fundamental right is something that you can do independently without the participation of another individual. And right. you, so, that, so that's that's your definition, right? You, you've come and said like, I've got a philosophical right for freedom of speech, and I don't fit health under it's, that, it's so a, therefore it's, an, it's not a right. It's I'm an talking about political observation. Rights, right? It's an observation. I'm talking about. But it's not, these are any, things we decide. These aren't things that we observe. No, we didn't any, find the freedom of speech in nature and decide to protect it. We what I'm, discovered the, it as a concept when we interact with each other and we chose to value it. That's what we call it. That's what we call it. But before anybody said you had the freedom of speech, you still had freedom to speak. But guess what? We're healthcare. But that's valueless without it being protected, right? Like freedom of speech so. has no value without protection. I, I don't so do you think so. it's valuable that there's a valuable amount of freedom of speech in North Korea? Uh, I think, like, yes, is it I valuable really in North Korea? Yeah, because usually people who don't have their freedom of speech protected have still been able to rise up and overthrow governments who oppressed them Not because they were Korea. able to speak to one another and get the support. Yeah, because they had force. And that's what we're saying is that it requires other people. Like, but they no one overthrew a government of, by themselves. But they used their freedom of speech before they had the protected rights under the government to do so. And it was meaningless until it was invested with force to protect it. Exactly. But same with healthcare. I, I it's a right it, that is I meaningless until there is the infrastructure available to protect it. Let me ask you a question. If everybody died tomorrow, do I still have the freedom of speech? No, because you did. Okay. Meaningless. No, I'm saying if I'm the only if, one if left. A tree no, falls... If everybody's dead and I'm the only one left on the oh, planet, oh yeah, no, you, it's meaningless. Do I still have freedom of speech though? Do the, I have the, the freedom the, to speak? The, the concept has no meaning in that point, right? Because there is no means through which your speech can be denied. So there, there's no value to it. What what what, what value is freedom of speech if you buy yourself? Do I do I have the ability to open up my mouth? You've got the ability that? to speak, right? But you're talking yes. about a concept, which is freedom of speech, which I, I would contend of, has more... I'm not talking about the concept. I'm talking about the ability to speak. Okay, so... I'm saying that you can do you're that. You're saying that your rights are things that you can do with nobody else in existence. Yes. It's something that is so fundamental to what you are able to do and perform without the participation of another individual. If I if everybody died tomorrow, I would still be able to open my mouth and speak words. But I what I will not be able to do is to do a surgery on myself. So you don't have the right to own a gun. I do have the right. You can't to own make a gun. a gun. No, you can't make a gun. I I can't make a. I can't. I can't. You need um, other people. You need but other I don't people have for that to right buy to be meaningful, right? I don't have to buy a gun. The the right to self defense is not because you have a gun. The right to self defense is you have the ability to Sorry, defend yourself. No, no, yourself. no. Not the right to self defense. The right, the Second Amendment, right? The right to bear arms, which bear arms. commonly seems to get um, interpreted as explicitly sticks. guns. Bear arms can mean a multitude of things. Um, bear arms say, could be... It could be rocks. It could be... It, 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 it could be. But let, it let, can be let, anything I have the ability yep. to pick up in my arms and defend myself with, I should have that right to do so in self-defense. And that is not how it is dealt with in the current political environment, right? The Second Amendment is not about, I can carry a katana around, right? That's because most people That's don't not understand how it's interpreted. anything. 
Uh, uh, no, it's because not. It's because we, there's political interests in forcing we interpret the everything. Bodies. We interpret everything through our current political lens. But if you look, if you strip away all of the politics of it, and you just look at what a human being is capable of doing out in the wilderness by themselves, we understand that these things are fundamental. You have the right to open your mouth and speak words. You have the right to defend yourself against an animal, against another human being, and you can do so without forcing anybody to jump in and help you. You can do so independent of what other people are doing. But healthcare is something that you must have other individuals participate in. Without them, you don't have that right. You don't have that ability. So do you have the right to be safe in your community? No. I'm not asking, are you safe? I'm asking, do you have that right? No. So which is why you, you have the right to, which is why it's good you have the right to defend yourself because a maniac so, might come through and chop your head off. Well, that wouldn't make, that wouldn't make any sense in a world where nobody else exists. Nobody else could ever come and chop your head off. There's no point to bearing arms because nobody could ever hurt you. Uh, I, animals I, I, could. Animals. I think could. the disconnect here, right, is like you value rights in their okay. expression. <laughs> animals. Whereas, like, yeah. I value rights in the way they interact with those around me, right? Like, to me, a right is meaningless if it's you're, uncontested, right? You're a utilitarian. You you believe the outcome justifies the means. That, that kind, no, that's kind I, of I, I, look, I, I think understanding rights in terms of how they interact with the world is not the same as being a pure utilitarian. Like, I wouldn't want to transpose that to other things, but for the sake yeah. of, like, rights, it is the outcome of those rights that I'm interested in, right? Like, I... I do I want to get into this? Um, like, your right uh, to bear arms in America, I think, is utilitarian it's got no value right like I, I think it is a demonstration of a failed state that if you need a gun to feel safe like if you need a gun for self-defense you're in a society that has issues that need to be solved and they're not Dude, that's every guns. society that's every society that ever it's not i have never once felt like shit i wish i had a gun right you don't need a gun until you need a gun but that's the thing, right? The I don't point. need a gun because the temperature of conflict in Australia is lower than the temperature of conflict in America because whenever I bump into someone, I'm not, fuck, does he have a gun, right? Okay. My biggest uh, issue is if I'm out, someone's going to glass me, right, with a fucking... It's a bad argument a, because before guns even existed, right, there were certain civilizations that were more violent than others. Just because your civilization isn't more violent than our civilization doesn't mean that guns are like, oh, you have a failed state because you need a gun. It just so happened that I live in a so, more violent country. So you can test that guns don't increase the temperature of altercations in America? Uh, oh, well, it can. Because that's my argument, know. right? When I say the temperature of conflict in Australia is lower, yeah, but the stakes are I, lower because the weaponry me, is lower. Understood. But if me and you are having an argument and I have a sword and you don't, that sword may potentially cause that argument to get much further because I'm willing to chop you with this sword. Like, you can do that with anything. I have a car and you're standing in front of my car and we're arguing. Me having a car may embolden me to escalate things because I can run you over. You can do that with generally, literally anything. Generally, people only escalate when they're all in cars, right? Road rage, right? And, and cars aren't weapons, right? I mean, it can be and, used as a weapon. But they're not weapons. Uh, yeah. Well, a microphone arm can be used as a weapon, but it's not a weapon, right? We're not going to talk about whether or not it's... It's not designed know, to blunt. inflict harm. Yeah, it's not yeah, designed neither to inflict harm. Yeah. I agree. But... Guns are made for multiple reasons. Some people like to do sports. Some people like to hunt. Yeah, I mean, we've got that in Australia, right? Like, you can go pig shooting. You can go roo shooting. Like, you can own a gun. You can go so to what's gun to stop range. That, what's to stop that pig shooter from taking his rifle or something like that and just going and shooting up a bunch of people? The it's culture, the person. Right? Because the we, we, don't, we, we don't treat guns like a solution, right? To me, the Second Amendment, like, the biggest amount of damage it does in America is it creates a culture where a gun is a solution to a problem. 
right? And that is, is a gun, very close to hand solution. Is right? the gun not a solution to a problem? No, <laughs> not if you've got an argument with someone. Okay, so if somebody's trying to rape my sister, you don't think her having a gun would be a good solution to that problem? That's a great solution. Okay, so a gun can be a solution. Yeah. Being a, a gun being a solution. Let, let, let's be clear, right? Not, if if, if we talk about gun control, we don't talk about gun erasure, right? And I feel these conversations really quickly get to like these hypotheticals where, well, if this horrific event was to occur, well, these I things happen every day. These things happen all the time. I know personally that victims who have been raped, and I know personally women who have almost got raped who had a firearm and stopped that. I know these people personally. I'm not saying yeah. my own situation dictates what the rest of the world should no, be no, doing, but, so, but these things do happen. Yeah, and and so the hypothetical doesn't inform the entirety of the situation, right? The, the, the talk about gun control and gun violence in America is broader than people that are defending themselves against assailants, right? Yeah, but you would also agree, I hope you would agree that bad people should not dictate how we treat good people. Like, if if I take my hammer and I decide to bash somebody's brains in, and then you went to the store the next day and they removed all hammers from the stores, you would automatically think, why in the hell can I have a hammer to work on my roof because this fool or this idiot decided to bash my brains in with it? You would think that would be absurd, would you not? See, the, the problem with that analogy is I think it's absurd that you've got um, assault weaponry in America. That's not necessarily like, a, a, a hammer. A hammer is a buzzword. A, I, look, I, I listened to some of your videos and I, I understand that you've got issues with the fact that it's not uh, defined. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Get a bit of research, my friends. Sorry, I didn't have more research on my channel. Um, <laughs> but, I'm but, curious but, of which ones you watched, by the way. But go ahead. Oh, the one last night's or the most recent stream. Uh, you had a few oh, the last stream, uh, last night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the one that um, Kaz linked when he was like looking for people to chat to you. Um, yeah. And like the, the, the issue I've got right is weapons Why that are combat liberal. multipliers. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a bit of an older video too. But um, like combat multipliers, to me, have no no place in the civilian uh, population. Now, there there are extenuating issues in America, right? And I think the um, armament of the police force is one of them. Like the fact that you've got like um, ex-military gear and the police force. Like again, that's another thing that raises the temperature of your country. And like to from an outsider point of view, it, it just blows my mind that it is so normalized to be like, yeah, I need a gun. I need to. Feel if you safe. took away if you took away guns from from America tomorrow, America would still be pretty violent. Oh yeah, um, and like, look, there's violence in Australia. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, right? but yeah. like, to to protect the combat multiplier weapons and to like live and die on that when there's mass shootings, it yeah. just like. But but at the same time, like, make it make sense, you know. I don't know how many people are reserving their right to enter my home unannounced while I'm sleep with me and my wife. Because hey, they're afraid if, if that I might have a firearm. I don't know. If that's those going people. through your mind. Like your 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 town needs to be fixed. Like that's crazy. Hey, I'm, to I'm, me. I'm fine, but until it's fixed, I want my firearm. Yeah, but <laughs> so like, that, that makes sense. But but then shouldn't you campaign on like fixing those issues, right? Like the idea that like it's it seems to me that the dialogue stops with I need a weapon because I need to protect myself. It never then goes to well, the reasons I need the weapon are because of um, I think guns know, are cool. Yeah, a lot of people do, right? And there are people in Australia that think guns are cool. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, sometimes, and maybe you don't have this misconception, but there's a misconception that because in Australia we've got gun control laws, that they aren't hobbyists. There are plenty of hobbyists out there. I've got mates that were looking at getting their license and stuff uh, so they could start collecting some tools. There was one of my mates when I was going through high school. He took us out to fire his Magnum pistol and his 303 rifle and 
you know, like we have access to all that stuff. But we you have, have access to culture. the sport. You, you have a different because culture, we don't different treat as well. gun con ownership as a core tenant of citizenship. But most of the people who are the most of the people who are going through doing all of this horrific stuff with guns are not the people who listen to NRA messages. It's usually people who are either psychotic and going through a lot of mental health issues, or people who are gangbanging or in drug violence and stuff like that. Those are the people committing majority of the crime with firearms. It's not the your average citizen who's buying a firearm for protection or hunting. Those people aren't killing people. It's the, and, and the I, maniacs in society who's yeah, doing and, it. And I think that they are still subject to that same cultural uh, normalization of firearms as a way to express themselves. So we right? should get the because guns we've out got of the those... bad people's hands. So we should... Go ahead. Based on what you just said, the, the fact that it's mostly the, mostly the maniacs of society that are doing this, uh, I want to circle that point back to the healthcare issue because I think that healthcare, whether it's a right or not, um, it, it still should be a thing that is guaranteed. I don't really care whether or not we call it a right or not. Um, the yeah. idea that it is a right is something that is a is a it's a utilitarian rhetoric. We mm -hmm. call it a right. We get people to marshal to that clause. We get people motivated to do to vote in that way, but whether you call it a right or a privilege or whatever the nomenclature you choose, is it a good thing or is it not? Um, if we had a infrastructure that provided healthcare and more importantly, mental healthcare for all these maniacs in society that have access to guns, perhaps some of these people would choose to go to a doctor instead of going to a gun store. Wouldn't, would you think that might be a, something that is reasonable? Okay, so, all right, there's, this is a utilitarian argument as well, right? It's like, do you have an issue and, with utilitarian arguments? Like, this I is don't. just a quick question. I, I, I do you've... not at all. I'm a utilitarian in many different fashions, right? Yep. I, I'm, I'm just using it to like summarize exactly what's going on because a lot of people are using utilitarian arguments, but they don't realize that's what they're effectively saying. The, the, the ends justify the means. That's exactly what they're saying. And the reason I say that is because I look at it from a moral philosophical position in my political philosophy here, right? My well, idea I do too. Is, my idea is when you go to work for somebody, I believe that your money should be used in a way that you best see fit. I don't as a citizen, I don't I feel uncomfortable deciding that I know what's best to do with somebody else's money because I feel it's better for society. Maybe my goal isn't what's best for society. Maybe it's what's best to protect individuals' ability to decide for themselves where their money goes and how it's implemented. Now, if majority of the people in the country decide that we want this health care, by all means, in Australia, if you got universal health care, more power to you because that's what your citizens want. But if majority of people are not comfortable with paying for some guy who smoked all year or all his life to get cancer treatment, Shouldn't they be able to decide that? It's their money. So, okay, back 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 on the healthcare. Um, what what do you think about the idea that when people have access to free healthcare, they actually end up having longer working lives, and it actually is a benefit for the economy, right? So there's more taxes collected from people that are healthy than people that are unhealthy. So even if you talk about the costs, where does the money come from? Like it, it may cost cost in the first yeah. decade or so of implementation. But the, as the workforce is able to work longer and work later in their life, it actually 
is a net benefit for society. Yeah, and when you is... contrast that against the rhetoric, particularly conservative rhetoric, that is like healthcare is too expensive, healthcare is impossible, it's my right. I don't like, believe they start that. to talk about moral philosophy. That's like, well, that's where I'm at. I don't believe this whole idea of like, oh, it's too expensive, the government can't pay for it. I don't agree with that. Like, yeah. if we spend so, like billions and billions in the Ukraine, like it was nothing in a drop of a hat, right? I, I agree with you there. What I'm saying is that that is more saying that I am willing to violate people's right to their own labor and capital for the sake of having a more prosperous country. And if people feel that way, that's fine. But who am I to get mad at somebody who says, no, that's my money and I don't want to pay it. I don't want to spend it that way. Right. He should so, have the right to say so. so. So why do we have a climate of political discussion where conservatives almost unilaterally fall down the side of no healthcare, reduce healthcare, less healthcare, because, less regulation, you know, yeah, get people off cheap, accessible stuff. Because conservatives believe in this idea that it is a person and their community's job to uh, pursue their own happiness and make their own decisions and be responsible for themselves. It fundamentally goes against the idea that you are a person and you are in charge of your life and the decisions you make affect you and impact you and I shouldn't have to pay the price for it. That's where that's coming from. But, so, so do you think, okay, I know there's lifestyle diseases, right? You mentioned smoker with cancer. Yeah. We can talk about people that develop uh, type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. But what about people that have health issues that are not based on their choices, right? Yeah. Are they, this, sorry, that's technically where, your no, choice or? Well, uh, it's two ways to take a uh, take that approach. One could say uh, that's natural. That's the way nature works. But I'm, I, I don't agree with that. I think that, yeah, I'm 100. A computer. Yeah, I'm 100% behind the fact that um, we should pay for certain surgeries and things that people can't afford because nature happened. I think we should cover that as a society, not because it's the right thing to do. It's because we can for one and for two, to me, that's a good society I would like to live in. I would do that for my mom. I would do that for my sister if they got something. But if you made a whole bunch of bad decisions, I shouldn't cover that. And that's what I'm, that's my argument. I say, let's cover the people who are not responsible for their Ill, ailments. Right. So, so it's not universal health care you've got an issue with. It's um, universal health care that includes lifestyle broad, conditions. Yeah, it's a broad encompassing of we should pay for everything people go to the doctor for. All right. No, I'm sorry. Because people are going to make stupid decisions and they should have to pay for it. So what if someone needs health care because their back is fucked because of their warehouse job they've had for two decades? Uh, they had a warehouse. Is that lifestyle or is that nature? Uh, it's a choice, right? Uh, okay, that is more so lifestyle. Um, right. It's not so nature. No, not not necessarily. I'm talking about bad decisions. Like if if I decide to right. smoke for 20 years, I made those bad decisions and it gave me cancer. But is that a bad decision work, or is that freedom? That's freedom, but you got to pay for your freedom. Which it was but a isn't bad freedom decision. good? So shouldn't we support freedom at a political level? It's both. It can be freedom and it can still be a bad decision, right? Right, so we want to encourage, we, we, we want to incentivize freedom that is good decisions. Yeah. See, now we're starting to get into government, right? And what mm -hmm. the role of government is in um, legislating certain things. Yeah, and, and we have, I, I believe in incentivizing people. I don't believe in forcing people to do anything. I believe that there should be rewards and punishments based on how you want to direct people's behaviors, right? I believe in that. I don't believe in coercion. I don't believe in forcing people to do something that they personally don't want to do because you feel like it will help other people in society. So you're against capitalism because that's the coercion of labor to mm -hmm. enrich the capitalist. Capitalist is free market. Anybody can participate. Yeah. 
There are people so we who are a... poor. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. There are people who are dirt poor who become millionaires. More millionaires exist today than they have ever in society. There That's are people... inflation. The, the new millionaire is billionaire. And also, if we're going to talk about wealth creeping up, like I think that's a fallacy because the wealth gap is actually bigger than it's ever been at the moment. I, I agree with you that the wealth uh, yeah. gap is bigger, but the part about the free market is anybody can participate in it and you could be lucky and you can be smart and you could win or you can be a failure, but that is your right to pursue your own happiness and to deal with the consequences that come with it. That is do you capitalism. Think, do, do you think everyone that tries Of course, will most people won't succeed. So isn't that the argument for socialist reform, right? For healthcare? Of for, My goal is uh, not for everybody housing. to my goal is not for so, everybody to succeed in society. So in your no, your political belief that the necessary failure that comes from capitalism is worth paying because capitalism is freedom. Uh, no, my belief is even if even in socialist societies, there are still failures. That's a but the failure in a socialist That's... society is someone that still has a house, still has healthcare, still has food. Where? Show me, show me the socialist society. This is aspirational, have... my friends. Like, uh, we're, we're talking about the next step evolving from late stage capitalism, which is fucking over and over right now. Yeah, but based on socialist uh, track record, that's not a risk or a gamble I'm willing to take. Do you think I'm sorry, but they had that, killed less people they, than socialists? That's not what I'm arguing. What I'm saying is the 20th century. Well, you're saying capitalist us... is successful despite I'm socialism the not succeeding. Of socialism. But I don't think capitalism is currently succeeding. It's not failing as much as socialism is. But that's because it's not socialism isn't enacted anywhere in a meaningful way. Says every socialist. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like, I, I never meet a socialist who says socialism has been tried. Look, look mate, <laughs> if, right if, if we want to go into the history of it, I need some time to prepare because like, I'm, I'm not a textbook. But like, if, if you want to sit here and we want to talk about whether or not capitalism is succeeding... Like, I, I think the inflation in the cost of living, the inflation in houses, the um, fact that we've had um, wages actually depress in real terms because of the rate of inflation, like, that's a failure of capitalism. Isn't you know it? what's do the you success think that's, of capitalism? So do you think that's success? Do you, do you think yeah. our current market forces I'm that are enacting on people? It's, it's hard to define what success is because everybody has a different way of measuring it. I would say So do you overall, think capitalism needs to act a bit different to what it is right now for it to be there, better? There needs to be critiques, yes, of course. But I'm not getting rid of the capital. I'm not, not going critiques. to be out with let, the bathwater. Let, let's make it personal, right? Okay. Do you think the current market situations that people are facing that are struggling to live, that are struggling to survive? I, I don't know if people are struggling to find rentals in America, but in Australia, like there was like places that would have 200 people applying, right? People that are about to be homeless that couldn't find a place because there was, wasn't enough houses, right? Because no one can get on the housing market, right? Yeah. That is a failure. Let's not say, let's not make you say a failure of capitalism, but that is currently a failure somewhere, right? It, of course. And sometimes it's the failure of the people currently operating in the capitalist system. It's not capitalism that's the problem. It can be the people currently making decisions that are not turning out the best results for people living in that capitalist society. But what I will say is the, the most important thing here is what we lost is community. Nobody ever looks to their community to uplift them when they're down and out. We completely lost it. It's, it's gone. It's like, if my mom gets sick tomorrow, she should rely on her son, who's 30 years old, to be there for her, her brothers and sisters and their community. But no, people can't even rely on their own children these days to take care but of you, them. You're not MDs, right? Like, you're not doctors. No, but I'm talking about you, financial you, you, support. I'm talking about yeah, emotional yeah. support. People don't have that anyway, because ultimately... We sacrificed all that for the government solving all of our problems. 
I don't the follow that. I'm not. I'm not sure what you're talking about there. Well, I mean, the government is supposed what, to what house did we sacrifice? you. The government is supposed to put money in your pockets, give you food stamps. That doesn't like, happen in America. Yeah, uh, I mean, food stamps do, but like America doesn't house you. Housing. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah, there are some housing programs, but like there's, there's plenty of homeless people, so there, there's not yeah, a guaranteed housing most, program, right? A, a large percentage of the homeless population is due to they, they either have drug problems or um, mental health problems. That, that's a, a large percentage of the homeless people. Is some a, of these people chicken and egg situation there but again i don't have the data i, I agree i i yeah. agree like i'm not saying every homeless person became homeless because they had a mental health problem they might have developed it but yes for the vast majority of human history people had bad luck we're not going to get rid of bad luck no matter what situation or what kind of structure you put in and nor is that you're the wealthiest goal. country on the earth like why, why can't you do some bad bad luck protection they do it in video because games there, <laughs> guaranteed to no drop in world of warcraft eventually there are no solutions there are only trade-offs there are always going to be winners and losers in any form of government that you implement or any legislation that you implement. It's always going to be a winner and a loser. Somebody's going to lose. Yeah, on and let's 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 make let's make the billionaires lose a little bit and everyone else a bit more of a winner. <laughs> That's so fine. we're about we're about eight minutes short of the two hour mark. Uh, so I'm going to start winding it down here, guys. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I want to say, I think that socialism and capitalism are not really economic systems in and of themselves. I think that they are forces of economics. Like, I think capitalism is some kind of formalized uh, expression of simply supply and demand. And I think that socialism is a formalized expression of people's resistance to the power of structures of crony capitalism. And I think that we we when we try to formalize these things and turn an entire economy into exclusively one or the other we are trying to to separate uh a a, a cake from its ingredients it's uh, it's a fool's errand i think i think that it's not possible um but that's just my thoughts. I don't know uh, if you guys want to react to that really quick before we uh, I, I say my next point uh I, i'll say uh <laughs> I don't think that socialists are honest when it comes to socialism and what socialism actually means. We're not talking about, people say the firefighters are a socialist program or the police are a socialist program. Socialism is a few, very few criteria that falls under socialism. Workers having decision-making in the workplace equal to the owner or somewhere near that or the government means of production, or the people in that society have a collective means of controlling labor. That's what socialism entails. We don't have that in America, nowhere near that in America. Now, capitalism, on the other hand, is the idea that you have the right to your own labor and to your own means of production and to benefit from that labor and production without other people having the collective rights to it. That's what that is. And I really don't think socialism can beat that, nor has it ever come close to that. I say that. So it's interesting that like, um, there's, there's sort of a saying I quite enjoy, and it's like, if you ask a capitalist to define um, socialism, they'll define capitalism and vice versa. And I, and I think what you said there about like having the right to your labor and uh, what you build, like that, that at the core is what socialism is about, right? Is like when you go to work, you have the right to access the fruits of that labor. And at the moment, the issue is that there is an unequal split or valuation of a person's labor. Like 
I'll go and spend uh, a third of my life at work at eight hours a day, and I will not get even close to that fraction of value back from the companies or the organizations that I work for. Um, I, I think that the fact that they're not market forces is correct. Like often we get to these discussions and we end up talking about whether or not there is um, um, competitive natures to socialism, which I think is a misnomer. Um, that you know you can have competitive markets under both capitalism and socialism. And when I when I'm sort of here presenting socialist values and stuff, I'm talking about the workers' relationship to the means of production and the ability for people to overcapitalize. Um, assets, um, land, property, uh, to the point where there is no longer a meaningful way for workers to engage and to collectively bargain. And that's something I'd like to see um, redressed through legislation and um, policies. Uh, uh, one uh, more question I wanted to ask you guys before we uh, really close out. I'm sorry, you wanted to re respond to that? Well, yeah, I just want to say this and you can respond real quick. Um, I think that socialists overestimate people's ability decision making i think that it would be a disaster having most workers or if not all workers having decision making when it comes to how companies are operated function and organized and how they produce i think that we overestimate the competency of these workers there are workers who are able to do so but vast amount of people in the population are not equipped to be making decision making um at the decision making level what happens with the means of production and i think it'll be a disaster we're, we're talking about decision making like um i want to do four days a week but 10 hours a day i want to work on these particular days i want to start at 10 finish at six uh like we're at baby steps like I, i'm not sitting here going you know the socialist revolution happens tomorrow and uh, we're going to eat the capitalists I, i'm talking about making moves to where people have a greater autonomy on how they spend their life how they pursue happiness how they have time for things outside of work like a lot of our parents probably had a really toxic relationship with work where if you asked, you know, what do you do? Their answer is I'm an accountant, not, hey, I'm into YouTubing and podcasting. I like to take photography and stuff. Like we live in a time, like I think in the 80s, there was books written about, you know, the three-day work week. And like, right. instead of people getting access to time as we become more productive, we have simply been enslaved to do more production as people start to um, concentrate wealth uh, more and more. And I think redressing that balance would uh, make everyone a little bit happier and a little bit freer. So I wanted to ask you guys before we start closing it out, um, is there any issue that you guys think uh, would be a unifying issue? You heard about wedge issues before, I'm sure. Uh, what is a unifying issue that you think that we could all uh, gather around and speak with one voice on? I would say that getting rid of corrupt politicians and big yeah. money out of the government. I would... Literally, I would drop most of my arguments if we could come together for that. If we could just rid these corrupt politicians out of these governments, I would I would literally drop all of my issues and walk hand in hand with socialists, anarchists, and then we would disagree after we finish that. Yeah, we can fight out. afterwards. Yeah, even in front of us, and then we'll sort the rest out after. <laughs> I'm I am the exact same page with both of you on that one. Uh, Vagrant Sam, you agree? I'm sorry, I, I don't know if you had a chance to respond. Did you? No, yeah, 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 like 100%. I, I, I think that the uh, undue influence in politics is like probably the biggest issue that we have. And like, it's almost impossible to get to the issues that we're talking about today because our politicians aren't having oh, these discussions. Nice. They're having discussions on other stuff, which yeah. Yeah, isn't really going anywhere. So in that vein, I wanted to highlight really quick uh, a Senate bill. I believe it's uh, 3494 uh, introduced by Senator Ossoff of uh, Georgia. 
ban Congressional Stock Trading Act. This is uh, something that I've been talking about on the Factitionalist Network, uh, at least on the Facebook page for years. Um, the idea for me was to ban any kind of uh, ownership of personal property for anybody in public service. Uh, and I think that this is a step in that right direction. And we can, if any of you or anybody else uh, who watches this channel wants to talk about that idea in more detail, that's great. Uh, but this is something in line with that, that is also, I think, in line with what Javier just said, which is getting corruption out of politics, the ability for politicians to personally gain monetarily on their actions and their their position in government is clearly to me one of the factors that contributes to uh, yeah. uh, corruption. Yeah. The, the wrong people are getting into politics. Um, and like, I, I, I don't know where everyone else is on this, but I think the ability for money to buy political sway, and I don't mean in like the transactional underneath the Lincoln statue, here's a sack full of money. I mean, in the, the cultural influence and the um, sort of media attention that you can generate if you've got access to money, um, it just it incentivizes the wrong people to be in the wrong place, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I hate, like, I do, I, I kind of do this for a living at this point, but like, I hate disagreeing with people, like, about politics because oftentimes I become a bad guy because they're like, how can you think that? How can you say that? Especially people who disagree with me, right? And I, I prefer to just like have a healthy dialogue and just test my ideas and see where it goes, right? Um, and I'll say that if it was me, I would put an income cap on politicians. Not It's not enough to just stop trading. You cannot make an X amount of money over this limit. Anything that you make over this limit, I don't care if you're selling books, I don't care what it is, running a podcast, whatever it is. Any money that you make over this cap automatically gets donated to the people or to certain causes and things of that sort. I believe that a politician should sacrifice being able to make profit while in office, at least until they get out of office. Exactly. That's exactly what I was, I've been saying. You, you hit the nail on the head exactly where I wanted to hit it. Yeah. Are you still there? Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> Unless you were freezing. Oh, you okay. were yeah. a little frozen there. But yeah, exactly what I've been saying. Uh, uh, the, the phrase, uh, a cap on the income, isn't one that I've used before, but um, the idea that they are able to profit, what I said before, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'll let you guys have a second to uh, close out with any uh, remarks and then I will say my goodbyes and we will end this show. So uh, Vega Sam, uh, any final thoughts? Uh, look, I think it's been a good discussion. I think it's been interesting to sort of um, tease out some of these points. Um, I hope that uh, I'm understood. <laughs> I think I, I, I like to think I, I, I see where Javier is coming from. Uh, and I can understand like the the appeal to that idea. Um, and I, I look, I, I just can't get past the idea that I think I'm happier if the ten people around me are happier. And like, if I was to sacrifice, maybe that's not the right word, but if, if I was to prioritize my happiness over those nine happy, no, those other nine people, I don't think I'd be as happy as I am now. Um, yeah. That sounds a bit sappy and a bit wishy washy, but I guess it's a closing statement. So we'll leave it there. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I don't think anybody, I think most people have good intentions. I don't ever look at most people as thinking like, oh, they're just trying to destroy me or the, what I believe in. I don't see people that way. I think you're a great guy. And I think this was a great conversation. And whether 
most people are just trying to figure out life and trying to do the best they can. I don't hold anybody at fault for that. We just sometimes come to different conclusions. And I enjoy the, the, the adventure in dialogue. And I think that we have to keep it going. Uh, and not only that, what I will say is, I agree with you that it's kind of hard for a person to be happy when the people around them are not happy. And the reason that I don't think it applies to what I am communicating is because humans are not built to care about but so much. We come from small tribes and we're meant to care about maybe 15, 20 people, 30 people around us. And now we're being told that we need to care about the whole world and the whole country. And it's only natural for most human beings are not capable of that. So while you may be capable of that, it's a long journey before we advance as a civilization to where most people can think outside of their own limited understanding. And I'm leaving it there. Thank y'all so much for watching. I'm Javier Javier from the Javier Javier Show. Say it twice. Right. Thank you so much, Javier Javier. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Gregor and Sam. I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody in the audience. Thank you to the moderators in the chat and everybody who's sending questions and elevated the conversations. So uh, like it if you loved it, share it if you want to spread it, and subscribe. Our guests are linked below, so check them out if you like what you heard tonight. Uh, thank you, everybody, again. Have a great night, and remember, it's the bridges we build, not the bridges we burn, that give us the edge. So y'all have a great night again, and we are out of here. One in a million, a million, the one villain. Too hot to be in the kitchen. I'll end up melting the ceiling.